Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this crazy episode where we are talking all about Ahsoka parts five and six, Shadow Warrior, and Far, Far Away. I, I genuinely don't know how we're going to get through this episode talking about these two parts <laughs> of the Ahsoka series. It's just, I, yeah, we'll see, we'll see what happens, guys. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> All week when we've been recording this, I'm like, there is no way that we're going to be able to cover both of these episodes in under two hours. So we'll see if that even happens. But holy crap, this entire, these two episodes are some of the best Star Wars ever. I just am so happy and excited and it's so great. I don't know. I don't know. I'm ready to talk about it. (laughs) FYI, we are recording this during the writers and the actors strike. So we haven't seen any of the other episodes yet. We haven't seen seven or eight and everything that we've previously recorded when you are listening to this should be out as well. But just an FYI, this is where we are in the timeline. It's Saturday, September 23rd, 2023. And this is what we're recording about. We don't know anything. Here we are. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm very, very excited to be talking about these episodes. So part five was directed by Dave Filoni, Shadow Warrior. And part six, Far, Far Away, was directed by Jennifer Getzinger. So very exciting. Jennifer is a new Star Wars director. New to Star Wars directing. And she's previously worked on Westworld, Mad Men, Candy, like incredible stuff. And part six Mm -hmm. was so, so good. I I think I thought it was super well directed. Yeah. I think it's easy to like look at these two episodes and like part five is like if you're thinking about Sky Talkers, right? You're like part five. That's that's their episode. (laughs) But part six (laughs) kind of blew me away with how much I loved the journey of it. And of course, of course, the ending got me so, so mm-hmm. hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. They found Ezra. They found... Sabine found he, Ezra. He, we found Ezra. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's been so long. We've been waiting for so long. I was so happy. Like, I'm not going to say I was more happy to see Ezra than Anakin, but I think because I knew Anakin was coming in that episode in part five, but we still kind of didn't know when Ezra was coming yet. I was so overwhelmed to see him because, right, there's always the possibility that they, like, if there is a season two plan, that they could leave that for the very end of the series of season one. You know what I mean? Like, they open the door and there he is. And then the screen goes out and it's like, see you next year. Like they very easily could have done that, you know, or we mm-hmm. just stick with the hologram. Like they don't even make it to Ezra this season on a, the Ahsoka show. But we got him. We got a full conversation. We have two episodes left. <laughs> I'm so excited and I'm so happy. Ezra's back. Oh, my God. I felt like I was on pins and needles the entire part six, mm-hmm. just sort of waiting for that, but then also filled with dread a little bit. But the moment we got the little turtle creatures, though, I was like, no, this is so Ezra Bridger mm-hmm. that we're definitely going to see Ezra. And I, yeah, I, I felt at, in good hands the moment Sabine found those little guys. So because <laughs> it just felt very Rebels to me. And like, yeah. of course, that's where Ezra would be. <sighs> anyway, your previous point about like, it's very clear that we would as 
Caitlin and Charlotte who've been doing this for six and a half years, obsessed with like Dave Filoni and Anakin and Ahsoka and things like that. Obviously, we would love part five, but part six was so good too. And I think I did decide between the two which I liked better. And it is part five. It just is. I think part six did something really special with the world building and the tone. And I just really, really loved it. And I thought it was just really well done and it felt very, very fairy tale to me. And I just really like where it's going. I really loved it. I'm, but I think it's hard for me to say that I won't return to part five shadow warrior more yeah. and I will. And upon rewatch, I was like, I like this episode more than a part six. The thing that's interesting for me is that part five, everything in the world between worlds was like my favorite thing ever. <laughs> And and while everything with Ahsoka after she exits the world between worlds is also incredible, of course, her commuting with the Purgles is incredible and beautiful and spectacular. The totality of part six with the, the journey to the other galaxy, the conversations that Balin and Shin have, um, even some of what Thrawn was talking about, the Dathomir witches. Oh, good God. We have live action Dathomir witches <laughs> in Star Wars. That is incredible. And they're even cooler than I could have right? even imagined. Right? They're so cool. There's a lot there. I can't wait to talk about yeah, it. Yeah. I think all of that and then the journey Sabine goes on, the Howler, Howler which is just I love him so much. Um, and then finally getting that release at the end of the episode of Finding Ezra. I think that like total journey, it is so fairy tale. It works for me as a, as a whole episode. Whereas for part five, it's like the world between worlds is what I will revisit. I mean, I'll revisit all of it, of course, because it's a great episode. And But world between worlds stands out above everything. But then for episodes in total, I think it might be part six for me. But I don't know. I also like just during our Rebels rewatch, I've become such an Ezra person, like even more so than I was back then. And I was always a really big fan of Ezra. But rewatching it, I've just fallen in love with him all over again in like a really big way. And I, I should start recording my reactions because like I screamed when we saw him. And I thought his intro was just so perfect. We'll talk about it. But they're both incredible episodes. And I think that's all you need to know from us. Exactly. Let's dive into talking about part five before we jump into part six. So Shadow Warrior, I think the beginning, this was the strongest I've seen Dave direct, Mm -hmm. honestly. I agree. Um, I've never been a huge critic of Dave's directing like a lot of other people are but I think that this one felt there was so much of it I love the environmental shots in the beginning it felt so The Last Jedi felt so Ryan Johnson to me and Mm -hmm. I just really like how the beginning shots really set the tone for the fact that we were seeing something that felt like dark haunted um, mystical magical I think that the elements that the show is exploring is are just so fun for me as a viewer and as a Star Wars fan for so long that we're exploring these pieces of Star Wars that we've always loved so much, which is just the weird force stuff, but in totally different ways. And I feel this way about part six too, because I just think that that world building is also feels very unfamiliar, but familiar at the same time. Like it's not, it's otherworldly, but it's not, not part of Star Wars. And I think that with Shadow Warrior, we got a different exploration of the world between worlds than we've gotten before. And I 
really, really loved it. I loved the environment. I loved the smokiness, the haziness. I loved the falls. I thought Ariana Greenblatt did an amazing job as young Ahsoka. Everything. I bought into everything. Mm -hmm. And before I just, I need to say that I think Hayden Christensen, this might be his strongest Anakin performance that I've seen. And I... I, I can't get over it. Yeah. It was so good. <laughs> it was so good. It was genuinely so perfect. He he brought the Clone Wars Anakin to live screen, mm-hmm. to live action. Mm-hmm. And it was absolutely incredible. I think we'll probably talk about it some more, but that moment at the very end of the World Between Worlds after uh, Ahsoka doesn't, you know, use Anakin's Vader lightsaber to stab him. And she says, I choose to live. And Anakin starts to back away from her. And you see his facial expression change from like Vader back to Anakin. I, oh, this is, I, this has always been Hayden's strong suit in, in yes, my opinion. Yes. Like you look at his face, like you could pause the screen, especially, okay. Sorry, let me back up. In Revenge of the Sith, you know, from Padme's ruminations to just before Obi-Wan arrives on Mustafar, you know, I think when Anakin is kind of going through the turmoil of becoming Vader, you could pause the movie at any moment with him and see the anguish on his face and like the emotions that he's going through and where he is on that journey to the dark side. I think it's always been one of the highlights of his performance in Revenge of the Sith. And that moment at the end of The World Between Worlds in this episode of Ahsoka really brought me back to his performance in Revenge of the Sith, which I think it's supposed to. (laughs) But it was truly incredible to watch his face change so perfectly. And it wasn't, it was gradual, right? It wasn't Mm -hmm. like frowning one shot, smiling the next, you know? It was a total back away transformation. And it was incredible. I totally agree. I mean, his performance in Obi-Wan Kenobi was also incredible, but there's something about him here on the world between worlds that is just, it's, um, it's magnetic. You kind of have to keep rewatching it. Also, they really nailed the hair and the outfit Mm -hmm. for Revenge of the Sith Anakin. It's easy to get it wrong, I think. Yeah. And I think I'd go as far to say the Obi-Wan Kenobi flashbacks got some of it wrong. I know that that was Attack of the Clones era, but I think that the Padawan braid was too long. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that there are things that they got wrong in that flashback, but this literally perfect, like flawless down to the the hair. I'm like, did they get the same hair extensions that they had before? I need to know everything (laughs) about the behind the scenes of bringing this Anakin to life because it's perfect. And I'm a... I'm a graduate in the study of Anakin Skywalker and Revenge of the Sith. So <laughs> she's got the cardboard cutout to prove it. Yeah. And I, this could have been straight from 2005. Mm-hmm. It is wild. Yeah. And I, and even just seeing Anakin also, I need to mention this in the Clone Wars outfits. Oh my God. Also, it was just literally perfect with the short hair. Now is the time to say <laughs> the short hair that he had in the Clone Wars flashback he had when we interviewed him on Sky Talkers. Like, I can't handle it. 2022. I can't handle it. Mm-hmm. The fact that when I, people have been resurfacing these interviews 
of Ewan and Hayden talking about like and well Hayden like dodging the Ahsoka questions like are you in the Ahsoka questions and he's like he's like I don't know I don't know and meanwhile they're filming at that point and on the same press day he talked to us so it's just wild (laughs) it's just freaking wild I don't know It's it's crazy I don't think I realized how much I needed Hayden Christensen in the Clone Wars Anakin outfit. Like, I know there's been a lot of fan art of that throughout the years. And even, I think, in some of the early fan art of people um, putting Ahsoka or putting Rosario as Ahsoka, they would put Hayden in. Because there was a picture of them from when they were younger, like, hugging. I think that was one of the big ones. And they would, like, put them in those costumes. And I was like, that's great. That's cool. But it, it wasn't, like, a need. That I had personally. Yeah. And then I saw it and I was like, a need has been fulfilled. Uh, something <laughs> deep inside of me <laughs> has been fulfilled. Well, there's fulfilled. something that Photoshop doesn't doesn't capture. Right? right. We've seen that we've seen that photo of them hugging yeah. outside of the context of Star Wars. And then when when you put it in Star mm-hmm. Wars, you're like your brain still knows that it it's not is from this life. Yeah. So it's just not it's the not. same. It, it doesn't it's not the same. But I got to say too, I didn't expect the like silhouette of that costume to work so well either. Like in that, you know, that amazing shot of him walking away from Ahsoka when he in through the smoke and it flashes to Vader, but there's a period where he's walking and it's it's Clone Wars Anakin and you can tell it's him in that costume because it has a very different silhouette. And again, it's crazy to see something like that realized in live action because you know, you can that silhouette existed on animated Anakin, but that's totally different than seeing mm-hmm. it, than being able to also realize it in live action to the same degree. And it was just, it was kind of life changing, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I keep thinking about how it's been 15 years since we were introduced to the character of Ahsoka in animated form and how long we've been with this character and how you and I have felt some sort of ownership is probably not, not the right word, but kinship towards her. Mm-hmm. And then this transition into live action and then getting these flashbacks where it brings us right into these Clone Wars moments that we're familiar with immediately. Right. Mm-hmm. And how special that is to have this connection to that. I also felt like when I was watching this episode, I was like, oh boy, we could dissect every single line every single time yeah <laughs> and I, I was like oh no this is gonna be work <laughs> I literally put in our show notes I said I can't write every conversation between Anakin and Ahsoka but know that I want to <laughs> it's like I think we're gonna get close right but I, I, I there's so much there and I think we'll be dissecting it for years to come to be honest yeah yeah I think the concept of I'm here to finish your training is one that we need to dig into Star Wars seems very concerned with training these days and I think I don't really have any like formed thoughts on it but I do think that when when Anakin says I'm here to finish your training and then he says one is never too old to learn snips okay first off the mm-hmm. the constant use of snips kills me mm-hmm. it's it's too much <laughs> but i think one is never too old to learn snips is perfect if we consider who this Anakin is and where we are with Anakin in this timeline Anakin is is dead and this is potentially you can see it as many different forms of Anakin, whether or not he's really there, whether he is. Um, I would argue I think he is 
really there for Ahsoka and that this him saying that is afterlife Anakin just based off of the reference to that which I feel like is a reference to the fact that he learned his most valuable lesson from his son at the end of his life and then also the I won't fight you reference when Ahsoka says I won't fight you and then Anakin says I've heard this before wild because that's exactly what Luke says in Return of the Jedi so I would say that when they're on the bridge in the world between worlds that is really Anakin Mm -hmm. and I can say that much right and I think thinking about afterlife Anakin I just have such like warm feelings in my heart because I love the concept that he's learned so much and he's back to continue making sure that his apprentice, his surrogate daughter, this relationship that he poured so many years into isn't over at this moment and that she can continue to live on and learn that lesson. And I think for this entire episode, what my frustrations towards Ahsoka's characterization in this series, it's all come to a head. I've been frustrated about feeling like Ahsoka is like hiding something or stoic or feeling like she is sadly very alone or directionless. And I feel like this entire flashback really <laughs> made me realize like, oh no, that is with purpose. And I've I've said that that was going to happen. And I was really pleased when this entire episode served to prove that Ahsoka needs to have a renewed purpose. Yeah, and it really feels like that's what she came out of the world between worlds with. I did, you know, we read these quotes the last time we talked about Ahsoka, but I think this one from Dave after World Between Worlds aired uh, in Rebels is worth revisiting now that we actually have seen what has occurred in the World Between Worlds for Ahsoka. So this is from Rebels Recon, um, for the World Between Worlds episode in Rebels. And Dave said, the World Between Worlds, it's not about time travel. It's just about a place where everything comes together and you hear different things echoing throughout time. Remember in Rebels, there was like all the voices, right? And Dave goes on to say, because it's all fluid in that moment, in that place. It's not this material thing that's linear. Everything is occurring all at the same time. And he said, "Uh, I don't know how real it actually is. I don't want to define that for people anyway. It's not this place of gateways or doorways. And he goes, talking about Ezra and Ahsoka. And then he says, it's not this system of doorways like you're on an elevator getting off at different floors in different times. It's more like what the wolf tells Ezra. It's more about knowledge, knowledge that you can use for your benefit, for good, or knowledge that will lead to destruction. But it's not my intention that it's this ability to walk through to someone else's world. And I've been thinking, I wanted to bring this quote up because you know, what you were talking about, Charlotte, with is that Anakin? Is it not? Is it manifestation? Is it somewhere in between? I honestly haven't decided how I feel about it. And I kind of keep coming back to Dave's quote here about, um, I don't, when he says, I don't know how real it actually is. And I don't want to define that for people anyway. I think that's exactly what he was thinking here with this portrayal of Anakin, that you can read it as it actually is him. And that's probably true. Or you can read it that it's not actually him and it's the force, just the force. And that's probably also true. But then you can also read it as it's Ahsoka's manifestation of what she needs to hear from Anakin and go through with him 
And that's probably mm-hmm. also true <laughs> or yes. could be true. You know what I mean? Um, so I kind of yeah. think, and that's kind of left me in a, a better place. Not a better place is a weird way to phrase it, but like, I want to know, is that Anakin? Is that a manifestation of the force or Ahsoka's manifestation? And I think points that you brought up about, you know, the Luke reference, oh my God, like that feels like Anakin. And maybe it is this mixture of everything on the pathways is actually Anakin, but then everything in the mist after her Alice in Wonderland fall, you know, that's Ahsoka's manifestation. It's also interesting to think about. And this is definitely one of those scenes that will change over time uh, with new Star Wars that's added to it, just a new concept of how we think about Ahsoka and Anakin, or even anything new that could come from their relationship in the future. And I think that's really cool. And I also think it must be really hard to write something like that that is ambiguous because the world between worlds should stay ambiguous, but is also meaningful to, uh, to for the audiences as well. Like we all know how important this meeting of Anakin and Ahsoka is, and it has to do a lot of things, but it also can't just close the door completely. You know what I mean? Like it can... And for the purposes of the the story we're seeing right now with Ahsoka, it should, but it it doesn't have to be the end all be all of what happens for these two. Whether we see Ahsoka commune with Anakin again later on in the future of her own storyline, or we see a Star Wars story that goes back in time to tell another facet of their story that changes how we view what's happened here in the world between worlds. If any of that makes sense. Um, like, <laughs> I just think it's, it, it must've been a really difficult thing to write. Like what are the things we want to say here for the two of them to bring Ahsoka to kind of some kind of closure, but also we always want to leave a door open, especially for two characters like these. And I think I saw some frustration online of people's talking about it, like, okay, what is the lesson? And, and I, I think I found myself even in the middle of it, like wanting Ahsoka to yell at Anakin <laughs> about like what happened and what he did. And she never fully comes out and says it, right? She never says like, you turned into Vader or like you destroyed mm-hmm. the galaxy. And I kind of kept waiting for her to to let it out. And she doesn't. But I think the more I've sat with it, the more I've been like, yeah, because the the Ahsoka we see in those flashbacks, it is that stoic Ahsoka, right? Even though it's younger Ahsoka, it's still older Ahsoka. And to say that out loud is to bring something really dark to the surface for herself, not even Mm -hmm. for Anakin. And I don't know, I've gone kind of, I've strayed a lot from what we were originally talking about, but I just think there was so much going on here and I loved every second of it. And I can't wait to revisit this conversation in a year and see how our thoughts about it have changed. Yes. I think to the question of what is the lesson, quite literally it is defined in the conversation Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, of live or die. Ahsoka asks, what's the lesson? And this Anakin says, live or die. I loved this. I think that this is an extremely meta understanding of a couple things. First, this within this within this series proves and show sorry. <clears throat> First, the entire world between worlds flashback situation shows the fact that this is where Ahsoka has come from. If you're watching the show and you don't know that, I, I think at this point you know that Ahsoka trained under Anakin Skywalker, but you don't know all that she has been through. 
And I think being able to visually show that is important for her character and seeing where she is now. I think that when we see all these different points in her life from the, from like the beginning of the Clone Wars to the end of the Clone Wars to her fighting Anakin, like these are all the struggles that we've already actually experienced with her before, but how did she get through them? She pushes through, she lives, she survives despite the grief. And I think that it's also like I mentioned, it's on a meta level level too, because as fans, we've seen so much speculation over the end of Ahsoka's life constantly. From the Clone Wars, it was always talked about um, whether or not she lives or dies. And that was always the question. Is the Clone Wars going to end? The only way that the Clone Wars can end is if Ahsoka dies because she's not in Revenge of the Sith. And Dave answers that with a completely different way. We go in a completely different direction. And guess what? She lives. And then at the end of the fight on Malachor in Star Wars Rebels, she walks away and we are left with this sort of misunderstanding about where her fate lies because that entire place was destroyed and we don't know whether she lives or dies. Hence the Ahsoka lives question mark, Ahsoka lives exclamation point that we've talked about so much on the show. Um, But an entire year of speculation about where actually way longer than that. Yeah, that would be easy peasy. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. A lot of speculation about where Ahsoka ends up and when the next piece of her story is and whether or not we're going to get more from her story. So here, it just makes sense to me that when we're zeroing in on Ahsoka's struggles, the meta implications are the question about is whether or not she lives or dies and how she fights to live. And it just makes perfect sense to me. And I think that also tying it to Anakin's story is just beautiful because Anakin's whole struggle in Revenge of the Sith, the version of Anakin that we see in The World Between Worlds, this near dark side Anakin in this costume, is the Anakin that is fighting for the power to stop people from dying. So of course here he is in this iteration of him stopping Ahsoka from dying, from proving his, that is the final lesson that he is able to do that. And I think it's perfect because at the end of it, when Ahsoka takes his lightsaber and chooses not to kill him also, and he, she says, I choose to live. I mean, it's literally perfect to me. I I feel like it's full circle for both these characters' journeys. And I felt like, wow, this is exactly where we needed Ahsoka's character to be because from this point forward, she's a changed Ahsoka. And we see in, in even in the beginning of episode six, but by the end of it with a costume change and just this absolutely spiritual renewal, it's what she needed because she went from stoic, directionless, sort of angry Ahsoka mm-hmm. to one with... Um, a renewed purpose. And that's exactly what I think Anakin has all is also going through in the afterlife too, after just being saved by his son, this is a renewed purpose for him. And he's able to find a way for those wants and desires to stop people from dying, uh, to manifest in different ways to help the people that he loves. And I don't think this is the end of that part of Anakin's story that we're going to see. I really don't. Mm. I think that there's other points in the Star Wars story that we're going to see this exact purpose from Anakin continue. Also, in a lot of ways, I think Anakin, just to get even on another level, um, when we talk about the Mortis gods, I think Anakin in this regard is the father as well. Um, when we talk about like the archetypes, mm. uh, the ability to be like benevolent and then also turn on a dime for a lesson I think is very much like what the father was 
acting as in those Mortis episodes of the Clone Wars. And I think what we as a fandom have thought about Ahsoka as this like reincarnate daughter as part of the Mortis gods as well. And I think even Anakin, when he is uh, embracing that like evil side of Anakin, when he's fighting Ahsoka in the world between worlds, his eyes are red, which I thought was an interesting choice given the fact that when a Sith's eyes are actually yellow, not red. Mm -hmm. And the red eyes reminded me of sun in the Mortis gods as well, because that's that's what was that's like the visuals that we saw in Mortis. So I think that when we think about I think we think about the world between worlds and Mortis and all these things as intertwined. And I don't have any answers. It's just something that I've been thinking about a little bit as um, Anakin takes this like spiritual being persona in this episode and how that relates to the balance that he exhibited in the Mortis episodes of the Clone Wars and how he is sort of fitting into that father role. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's interesting yeah. to think about his role changing because yes. I think we've always kind of put him in son's role. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that I want to go back to this, you know, live or die concept uh, or lesson, I guess I should say. And that also feels very... Uh, Last Jedi, right? <laughs> uh, you know, three lessons yes. I'll give you. And on top of that, you know, after The Last Jedi aired, um, and there were only two lessons given in The Last Jedi when Luke said three, the whole premise of the finale of Rebels was one last lesson. That was a lot of the marketing mm. for the finale of Rebels was one last lesson. And we were all like, it's Luke's last lesson <laughs> from The Last Jedi. <laughs> Because they were, oh, yeah. they, they, um, you know, last Jedi was, you know, December 2017, and then Rebels finale was like April, May 2018. So not that far after, right? Um, so this this lesson of live or die, it seems, I think, like on the surface level, like okay, literally living or dying, right? This lesson of to live or to die, it's also a lesson in how to live, right? And to your point about like it mirroring Anakin's and it being good that Anakin is the one to give this lesson to Ahsoka, given his own journey to you know stop people from dying. But there's also this reality that Anakin couldn't live with his own reality. He couldn't live with the reality of Padme dying. And so he effectively damned the whole galaxy, right? He couldn't make that choice to live despite all the other things that were happening around him, the hardships that were happening around him. And I think that's ultimately where we see Ahsoka at the end of this. And it's part of their conversations in the world between worlds, right? When they're back in the Clone Wars era and She's talking about how, um, you know, we lost so many. Is this all I'll have? Like, this isn't what I trained for. And Anakin is like, you have to adapt to the times. That's not what Anakin could do. Anakin couldn't adapt to the reality of Padme dying, right? Like, he couldn't uh, go with the flow, <laughs> which is a very light way of putting it. <laughs> but that's kind of what he's asking Ahsoka here to do in this situation. Like, no, you weren't trained to be a warrior, but this is the reality we have now um, and you need to be prepared for it. And in turn, Anakin wasn't prepared to lose his wife and he couldn't accept that in the way that he's asking Ahsoka to accept, you know, her reality of, of having to be a warrior. And I'm not sure if these parallels are exactly like if I'm making my point well here, but I think it's interesting to think about, you know, Anakin couldn't 
couldn't live in the world as it existed um, without Padme, with the war going on, um, without Palpatine. Like he he stepped in and made all those changes, but he's kind of asking Ahsoka to to keep on keeping on um, the way that things are. And Ahsoka is like, how do I, like, is this all I have to teach my own Padawan one day? And she doesn't want that reality. But then Anakin is still right in this moment of, then you'll die. Like you have to fight to survive or you'll die. And I think you and I had a conversation actually kind of, I think, adjacent to this in our Rebels season three conversation, which should be out by the time you're listening to this. It will be. (laughs) It will be. In our Rebels discussions, if you haven't been listening to them, in the first part, we go through old reviews of that season of Rebels. And in the season three discussion, we were talking about these reviews. um, And then I started reading some comments on from like the audience on some of these reviews. And one of them was really interesting in the way that it talked about the Jedi. And this is kind of, I I, I swear this makes sense, like why I'm bringing this up. (laughs) Um, But the comment on this review, and the review was on the episode Twin Sons in Rebels, which if you're familiar with Rebels, that's the episode where Maul and Obi-Wan duel and Ezra's in it as well. And the commenter says that he thinks that this episode sealed Ezra's fate, basically that Ezra is going to die. Um, And he says, uh, the commenter says, uh, look at the original message of the Clone Wars where the Jedi blurred gray by their own involvement with the war. Look at Anakin and Kylo Ren flipping and murdering the trainees. Mind you, this was... 2016, 2017, this comment was written. Um, The Jedi are not meant to be on the front lines of these wars. And thematically, Filoni consciously keeps planting this. Hell, he even let Ahsoka live. Ultimately, I think Ahsoka, Kanan, and Ezra will go off and find their own fight or learn to stay the hell away for the good of everything at the end of the series. It would be a serious, nuancing message about the role of the Jedi in the galaxy. Um, You and I had a long conversation about this comment in our season three Rebels discussion, But I think it's such an interesting comment because I don't fully agree with it and I don't fully disagree with it. And I think I kind of saw this comment kind of come to life in a weird way through these conversations that Anakin and Ahsoka have in the world between worlds of Ahsoka doesn't want to fight. Um, She doesn't want to be living in a war. She doesn't want another war to come. I think this is part of her um, kind of solely focused need about Thrawn, right? We've been talking about this this season about how Ahsoka's like we've questioned, does she even care about Ezra? Like she's really here for Thrawn. And she even recommends to Sabine last episode that Sabine would make, should make the choice to abandon Ezra if it means preventing Thrawn from coming back. Right. And that's not a, a, a bad thing for her to think, you know what I mean? Like, obviously we're emotionally tied to Ezra, but Ahsoka's trying to prevent war. And this is all she can think about. And with the Jedi, the conversation is often like selfish versus selfless. Um, We hear Dave talk about this a lot about force users, but they're also not supposed to be warriors. Like it goes against who they were set out to be. And I can feel myself kind of not Um, making my point clear here, but what this commenter was talking about, about the Jedi are not meant to be on the front lines of the war, but they also can't sit back and do nothing knowing their abilities make them useful for the good of the galaxy. And Ahsoka has said a lot on this topic about, you know, when you see something going wrong out in the world, you should do what's right. And she even talks about it in the series Ahsoka about making the right choice 
um, doesn't always come with the consequences you want, even if it was the right choice at the time. I can't remember the exact quote. And I think that this world between worlds experience with Anakin, it's twofold in that you can't just not fight, but you also can't not live for yourself too. And I kind of wonder if we'll see this convergence of a selfless and a selfish choice because going after Ezra is, we could call that a selfish choice from Sabine, right? And going after Thrawn or preventing Thrawn from coming is selfless for the good of the galaxy. But now Ahsoka is bought in to saving Ezra and Sabine, the quote unquote selfish choice. Um, and I, I don't know if there's quite a conclusion here, but this is this is what I was thinking about when I was watching these scenes of Ahsoka can't not fight because she has the abilities, she has the knowledge to know what evil can do in the galaxy. But she also deserves to live and to love people and to have a Padawan who she genuinely cares about in the way that Anakin cared about her. She deserves all of those things too. And is there a galaxy where both can exist? And I think that hopefully we can see that at the end of the series. Yeah, totally. I think that now's a good time to talk a little bit about the title Shadow Warrior. And before we do that, I want to take us into this conversation between Anakin and Ahsoka, which I think might be my favorite part of the convos. Anakin says, you're a warrior now, just as I trained you. Ahsoka says, is that all? You're part of a legacy. But my part of that legacy is one of death and war, which this younger Ahsoka is basically echoing what Balin told Ahsoka right before she quote unquote died, mm -hmm. which we have been questioning on the show whether or not that's true. So I really liked that was brought up again. And Anakin says, but you're more than that because I'm more than that. And I loved this, like it, this uh, admittance from Anakin because saying that he's more than a legacy of death and war. And then Ahsoka says, you are more Anakin, but more powerful and dangerous than anyone realized. And I think to your point about like waiting for Ahsoka to kind of call him out about all the things and yell at him and things like that. I mean, this was very biting mm -hmm. for her to say that. And <laughs> Anakin gives her this look that's like <laughs> sort of incredulous and says, is that what this is about? It was crazy. I mean, <laughs> it was crazy. It was hilarious. And it was perfect. But I really like that Anakin insists that he's more than that. And Ahsoka's more than that too. So when when Anakin says you're a warrior now, just as I trained you, Ahsoka's interprets that as meaning simply someone who fights on the battlefield, someone who can wield a lightsaber really well, who mm -hmm. can instruct stormtroopers, who can succeed in the Clone Wars in a war that actually did not even matter at all. But that's not what Anakin is saying. And I think the title is Shadow Warrior. And what does that even mean? I looked it up. I think that from my perception, Shadow Warrior means that you're someone who, like, before I even looked it up, I thought, oh, that's like a deeper version of like a Jedi, I guess. You can master both the, like, both life and death, right? You're of different worlds. So that makes sense that this is, that that's what would happen in the World Between Worlds episode. Um, turns out there's not like a clear definition of what a shadow warrior is. Um, but I found this definition, which I thought was pretty apt. Um, the shadow warrior is one who can be aware of mass and ma 
The shadow warrior is one who can be aware of and master the unseen parts of life, who has the ability to be calmly aware of thoughts, feelings, verbal and body language cues, small details that can easily go unnoticed and yet have a huge impact on the outcome of a situation. Living as a shadow warrior is about knowing how to stay safe both inwardly and outwardly when faced with a challenge, how to diffuse conflict and how to understand and use personal power. I, th- I, th- I don't know. I just think it's interesting to uh, to consider the title Shadow Warrior because if Anakin says you're a warrior now just as I've trained you and the fact that they're, that conversation sort of implies that they're the same, that Anakin, because, Ahsoka, because he trained Ahsoka to be like this, that they have the same being. So my question is, does the title Shadow Warrior refer to Anakin or does it refer to Ahsoka or does it refer to both of them? It's got to be both. It has to be both, right? So we have these two characters who are accessing this part, this world that is of the force and are able to call on these emotions and feelings in order to grow outwardly and inwardly. Um, we know that Anakin is doing this we, because we've seen Return of the Jedi. We know <laughs> we know he's a ghost at the end. We know that journey somehow happened where Anakin is able to grow in, back into a good person, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's not the journey that we're seeing with Ahsoka here, but it is a journey of renewal and rebirth. And I think Longtime listeners of this podcast know that I love a baptismal moment. I love water situation. And I love how at the end of this, when Ahsoka says, I choose to live, and then Anakin disappears, basically, um, that the water fills up around her and she doesn't resist. The the water could very well like drown her, but there's no resisting there, even though she says that she chose to live because she's accepting this rebirth. She's accepting this renewal. And at the very end of it, when the New Republic um, people take her out of the water, at first I was like, I really wish Ahsoka pulled herself out of the water. And then I sort of sat with it upon my second rewatch and realized, no, it's okay for her to accept help. It's totally fine for Ahsoka to be um, within this water being uh, reborn, restarting and accepting help from others. I think that's perfect. That's what Ahsoka needs. She doesn't need to be alone. She doesn't need to be stoic. She needs to accept the love and the life from other people around her. And I know that I'm just talking about like a literal moment of some unnamed rebel captain pulling her out of the water. Okay. But there is a choice there to have this like spiritual moment of water coming up around Ahsoka and then her not like swimming upward, but instead someone getting her. Um, Overall, I just think that every single choice that was made in Ahsoka's like rebirth made a lot of sense. And I will stand by the bald Ahsoka without the headband (laughs) moment too, because as jarring as it was, and I, it was jarring. It was such a, wildly weird choice to show that it's the way to show her like emotional nakedness without showing that right and I I think it was really great (laughs) (laughs) because it was just a visual cue of her starting over and then of course she wears the the white robes and the white shawl and everything right after that she is fully reborn she is Ahsoka the white we made it this is her this is what we were talking about in episode one when that flashback wasn't or episode two I can't remember the flashback of um what we saw in the rebels epilogue when she was in a different outfit we were waiting for her to become Ahsoka the white and here we are here she is reborn renewed 
And I didn't mean to skip over everything and just kind of jump right right to the end with Ahsoka's um, sort of spiritual renewal, but I felt like I had to trace that concept of shadow warrior to the end there. Yeah, no, I really liked when you were, um, when we had been talking about the the water and the the not resisting. I think that's such a specific choice and yeah, how you described it. it Ahsoka needs to be in a community. <laughs> she needs to have people around her. And so that being taken care of, no one has taken care of Ahsoka since ever. Right. I mean, she was taken care of in the Jedi Order and then that betrayed her and Anakin as well and, and everything that goes by with like that. So this just release of of fighting, of struggle through the water, I think was so was really important. Um, we also have the the great thing in that it matches one of the the trading cards, the top trading cards that Dave drew yes. after the season finale of season two of Rebels. So it feels great to have one of those checked off the list again. <laughs> I got to say, visually, that whole scene was kind of stunning to me of the stars dissolving and the water mm -hmm. coming up. I just, I, I loved it. I loved it so much. Um, and yeah, I mean, the the lack of headdress, I, I appreciate the symbolism. I really do. But I never want to see it again. I, I need to be honest. Same. <laughs> Yeah. No, no, no. I'm I'm with you. It was weird. I just I think I admire the weirdness. Of right. It. Well, they were like, all of you um critique our headdress so much, but let me show you how well it like melds into her skin. <laughs> Literally. That's they're like, we have an opportunity here to show them the budget yeah. for the headdress has gone up, the Leiku. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's so true. <laughs> it's so funny. I do think before we kind of leave uh, the world between worlds, I do think it's worth kind of briefly touching on the moments that they chose to go back to. Uh, yes. Number one, I do, before we get there, I want to say that I loved how Anakin uh, sent Ahsoka to the past when she's like, well, I got, she's like, I won. And he's like, <laughs> no, you didn't. And he like slices the path of the world between worlds and she starts to fall the the Alice in Wonderland fall. I love that moment. Also, Han Hayden looked so hot in that moment. <laughs> it's like a little smirk and then he like swings the lightsaber. It was it's almost too much. It was, it, was, it was so good. I'm like blushing. I, know. I think I saw that gif all over the timeline. <laughs> it was probably one of the so most good. gift moments, I think, for Hayden. Mm -hmm. But it was great. But the first um, with young Ahsoka that we go back to is the Clone Wars episode Storms Over Ryloth, which is season one. We hear Ahsoka in the flashback say, you know, this is one of our first missions. Like, why are we here? And we actually did talk about this episode specifically in our last Ahsoka discussion, which is, I don't know, feels kind of fun. But in this episode, it's a really good episode if you haven't watched it. Um, but it's an episode where Ahsoka disobeys Anakin's orders. They're doing um, it's a it's a siege over Ryloth, storm over Ryloth, and uh, Ahsoka commands all of her squadron to like keep going, keep going. And Anakin is telling her, you know, you need to stop. Your like that's an order. Stop. And Ahsoka just keeps pushing, and she's like, No, I've got this. I've got this. 
and spoiler, she doesn't got this. And she ends up losing most of her squadron. They're mostly killed. And when they come back uh, to the hangar afterwards, she gets kind of yelled at by Anakin and it's really bad. And then he he's yelling at her like, you don't you didn't see the big picture like you were not looking at the big picture. You didn't listen to me when I could see the big picture and see that you were in trouble. And now look what it's cost us, basically. And Ahsoka loses her confidence. She is obviously really upset about losing her squadron. We see that here in the flashback. Um, And this is the episode where Anakin says, uh, that's the price of war, little one, which is like, I don't think he's ever called her little one ever again. And we all died a little, myself included. (laughs) Top tier moment. It's a top tier (laughs) Anakin and Ahsoka moment, personally. Uh, But that is, that's the episode we're seeing here. But in in that Clone Wars episode, Ahsoka is doubting her own abilities. And throughout that episode, I think it's it's an arc, so it's two or three episodes in Clone Wars, Anakin basically rebuilds up her confidence and, like, asks for her opinions and ideas on stuff. And you see her have, like, come back to herself at the end. And she's she's realized, like, she is capable of things, but also that she needs to, you know, listen to Anakin on some of this stuff. She can't just do it her own way. So I think that this is an important, like, the fact that Ahsoka loses her confidence and loses so many. Not only is this, you know, inside the episode itself of Clone Wars, but it's meta for the entirety of the Clone Wars, too. Thinking about where we leave Ahsoka at the end of Season 7, in the graveyard of all the clones who died, you know, at the, at the, in the finale in victory or death, like when she says we lost so many, she means the war itself too, right? It's not just that, that siege on Ryloth. So I think that was a good moment. And then <laughs> we get the siege of Mandalore and I was shook that we saw this when we saw her outfit first. I was like, are they, is this, no way. The moment I saw the Mandalorians, yeah. I was like, oh my God, it's a siege of Mandalore. My like, mom was like, what's that? I was like, oh it's a God. it's a big deal. The fact <laughs> that your mom hasn't dived into Clone Wars is like, oh, I'm personally offended by it, honestly. I, I, I am too. I just don't, I don't want to push it because I love it so much and I don't want her to not like I know, it. I know. So it's just hard. I know. It's just hard. But I, <laughs> I was so... I was so excited to see it. And the and the way that Anakin just kind of appears afterwards of, oh, I don't like I don't remember this battle. And she's like, Yeah, you weren't here. We had already parted ways, or whatever she says in her very, her very mature manner. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but I think this is also an important one to pick because this is where everything comes to a head. And I'm sure that when thinking about Ahsoka's life, when Ahsoka is reflecting on her own life, I'm sure we've talked about this a ton, actually, that this is the Siege of Mandalore is something she probably goes back to a lot of what if I had made a different choice here or here? What if I had listened to Maul? What if I had stayed with Anakin and Obi-Wan when they went after Palpatine? What if I hadn't, you know, said mean things to Obi-Wan about Anakin and actually called him myself after Obi-Wan told me about, you know, Anakin being tasked to spy on the Chancellor because she knew how hard that would be for him and said that to Obi-Wan. And even Yoda in the Siege of Mandalore episodes asks if Ahsoka has anything to say to Anakin. And she says, I'll tell him next time I see him. So I'm sure the Siege of Mandalore is something she goes back to a lot of, there were so many opportunities I had to make a different choice. And maybe all of this could have been different. So I think it was smart to also go back to to this time as well, to this specific battle. Yeah, definitely. I, we haven't mentioned that 
Tamara Mor- Morrison is in this oh, as well. Um, seeing Rex. I mean, it's very cool. Just very cool, <laughs> so cool. to get that Clone Wars Tem here. It's just awesome. I don't know. Is there anything else that you wanted to say about the flashbacks? I don't know. We'll come back to it in a couple months. Maybe next week. <laughs> Who's to say? Maybe next Who's week. Say? Truly next week. Actually, one more thing. Morai. Uh, our little owl friend is not here. I really thought she was going to come because I swear to God, I heard her in the sound mix, but I didn't. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't, I'm really surprised that we didn't see our favorite convoy. It it really, it's sort of puzzling to me. I don't really know what to think about it. Mm -hmm. Maybe we're waiting for a bigger reveal with Morai later, but um, I'm waiting. That's it. It definitely I is. I mean, the the trading card we mentioned earlier of Ahsoka in the water, Morai is there with her. Uh-huh. So yeah, I definitely thought we were going to see Morai when when the water started filling up, or even flying over her after she was rescued. I was like, this is it. We're going to see her, and then we didn't. Yeah, even like a shadow or something. Oh my yeah. god! Speaking of shadows, we haven't talked about the the moving back and forth between Anakin with as Vader. <laughs> Uh, Who are we? The silhouette. <laughs> I know. It really blew my mind and like did elicit an insane gasp. But one of my favorite things about it is that when Anakin is moving onto the into the front, surrounded by clone troopers, and he's moving on and then it flashes into the Darth Vader silhouette, is that there's no one around Darth Vader mm-hmm. when it flashes to him. It's Anakin surrounded by friends, basically, if you can consider the clones Anakin's friends, which I think you can, to Darth Vader being completely alone. And I loved that. The, this like switch back and forth was so haunting and really reminded me of the the young Palpatine to Palpatine in the Rebels penultimate episode with Tempting Ezra. Yeah. All right. Let's leave the world between worlds. I am itching to talk about Jason Zindola. I love him. I would die for this child. <laughs> I I love him so much. I have nothing but glowing reviews of him. The fact that he, I said this last time, that he's like up and doing stuff <laughs> in this show <laughs> is just wild to me. This like little. He has tasks. <laughs> he has tasks. <laughs> he has lines. Lines. <laughs> and they're so. Okay. Okay. First, the fact that he can fit behind Chopper and hide behind Chopper is is too cute. It's 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 so cute. <laughs> so when he popped his head out, I was like, "Wow, you have me wrapped around your finger, Jason Sandola. I would do anything for you, and I wish you nothing but happiness in the world. <laughs> I know. No one better yeah. ever make him sad." But the him hearing the lightsabers in the water, the crashing of the waves becoming the lightsabers, the fact that he can hear what's happening in the world between worlds was just so eerie, perfect, beautiful. I loved it. I thought this was such a great moment, a great use of Jason. Truly wonderful the mind of a child is. The fact that he has had presumably zero training. Does he even know that he has force abilities? You know what I mean? We haven't really gotten that confirmed yet. But to see him, you know, insist that Hera listen and Hera does listen – 
I just, I loved this scene so much between the two of them. Whether or not Hera does actually hear the lightsabers, I think she does. But I think you can make an argument that she doesn't too. I think her hearing them kind of brings us back to this greater conversation of who the Force is for. But the fact that is that everyone has the Force. And Hera had the faith to reach out with her feelings, to trust her son, and she presumably was able to hear the lightsabers or believed in his belief enough that she sends out the whole squadron to to fly lower and wait for more word um, from Jason. And I just thought it was so beautiful, this scene between the two of them and uh, even like Ahsoka hugging Jason at the end and Hera being like, Jason's the one who made sure we stayed out here and rescued you. Like this is because of him. <sighs> I loved it so much. Me too. I love him. Do you think he's going to be part of Skeleton Crew? Like everyone's speculating. I hope so. <laughs> Me too. Me too. I love I need him. Jason. Yeah. I think this kid is he's great. So great. And I, I think to your point, though, we did get it confirmed by Hu Yang that he does have special abilities. Oh, that's true. That's true. We did. Yeah. I just, I loved that line where Hu Yang says, Jason has abilities. His father, Kanan Jarrus, was a Jedi. And Carson Tiva says, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> Carson's just like great anyway (laughs) I think that Hera is in such deep water (laughs) in this episode um, specifically that she's going to get her squadron taken away from her Uh, but I think that she puts it all on the line for people she loved I loved when He Yang said to Hera you do things your way because you care that's why people like you I just really liked that. I think that was a really good um, summation of Hera's character in general and why she just has such a big heart and her commanding, that's where it comes from. And she's just willing to put a ton of things on the line. I'm worried about the next time we see Hera, which didn't happen in part six, but I'm worried about like where she's going to be based off of like the New York public's warning and everything where she's going to be and if she's going to have any sort of resources at her disposal. We know that it's all worth it, though, given the fact that by the end of part six, Sabine has found Ezra. But I am very concerned that after this like extremely epic ending to part five of Ahsoka convening with the Purgles and like it was just a great moment, the best moment. The music is literally incredible. We end this beautiful episode with Ahsoka and Hu Yang going inside a pergol to travel to the, another galaxy and figuring that out in this very spiritual way. But then part six opens up with a space whale graveyard. And I just am very concerned. And I think that we are in part seven in for some devastation that is going to happen. And I don't, I, I'm, I, I don't want it, but I do feel like there was a lot of pointing fingers and warnings given towards Hera in this episode. Then the next one talking about like basically a purple graveyard and then how this is where people come to die. I just am worried. I'm stressed for the next couple of episodes because (laughs) I just feel like some of our characters are heading into situations that they don't, I don't know. I'm so stressed, (laughs) but I don't want them in, but I am a little sad that Hera didn't get to go to Peridia. It's okay. But I think Jason is old enough to travel to another galaxy. I mean, he literally found he found he found Ahsoka fighting with lightsabers in, in the water, in another world. Yeah, I he's ready. his line uh, or Hera's line there of Jason's not old enough to travel to another galaxy really reminded me of Din's hilarious line in The Mandalorian where he said Grogu isn't old enough to operate heavy machinery. 
That's that is the best line. <laughs> so good. So, so funny. funny. <laughs> yeah. I the other Sorry to go back to Jason again, but the other really cute thing I loved about him in this episode was when he, uh, when he's giving coordinates to Hera and Hera asks him a question and he, you hear him off, like off speaker, go to Chopper and be like, Chopper, she wants to know da 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 da. And we hear Chopper kind of, you know, chitter chatter in the back and he goes, okay, mom, Chopper said this. Da, da, da. It was just <laughs> such a cute moment of like, I don't know. All right, let me ask. Let me follow up. <laughs> One thing I wanted to add to about Hera's characterization here is, you know, in in Rebels, in the show, Hera is so – she is the one that is for the rebellion 110%. And we see this become a conflict between her and Kanan. There's a little bit of conflict between her and Sabine about it in season one of really just Sabine not being – on the in, inner circle and wanting to be. And Hera is like, not yet, right? And Hera is the one that becomes the Phoenix Squadron leader. She is, you know, all about the rebellion. It is her sole focus. And of course, she cares about the rebel crew and puts her life on the line time and time and again for them. Um, but I think it's been a really interesting in this series to see Hera's number one focus be Sabine and Ezra. And then by proxy, I would also say Jason. Um, I think we talked about this last week about, you know, finding Ezra is not only about finding Ezra, but it's also about would Ezra be someone to help Jason too in the future. And so to see her kind of put it all on the line of, you know, disobeying orders, coming out here, buying time, putting her command title on the wrist, at, on the line. I don't know what the right word is, but I've liked seeing this development in her of that motherly side of, all right, my kids are my first priority, all of them. Like even when Ahsoka comes to and is out, you know, out of the starship, she's like, I know you just woke up, but like, what about Sabine, right? Like that's what she cares most about. It's not about, you know, the rebellion. Of course she, you know, she doesn't want Thrawn to come back. Um, that's genuine. But like, you know, the bad man Senator Zioto <laughs> pointed out to her <laughs> a couple episodes ago of, you know, you led all of these voyages to look for Ezra Bridger and it was a waste of money and resources. And that's what you're doing again here. And it kind of is. Um, and anyway, I just, yeah, I'm kind of sad she can't go, but she's also got to stay and figure some stuff out at home as well. Totally. Okay. What was your reaction to the Purgle moments? I, Wow. I loved it so much. <laughs> Seeing them all there. Very Jonah and the whale. I, I was thinking the whole time. I was like, okay, how is she going to ride it? I was like, does she ride on top of it? Well, in Rebels, the, the like squid part of the purgle grabs the ships and they just go. Yeah. But so I was like, oh, that's what it's going to be. But no, that's not how they did it at all. Yeah. She just they like just got inside. And I love that Hu Yang came with her. I expected yes. it just to be her. But I love that Hu Yang came too. And now that he is this, you know, 12,000 year old droid with 75% original parts that has now traveled to another galaxy as well. Um, what a thing to put in his memory banks. <laughs> I just really loved the sequence because I think it was slow. Mm -hmm. Right. It was like, very, it was like it was, 10 minutes. Yeah, it was a strong buildup, in my opinion, of music, of tension about what the heck was going to happen. And I was taken back to not knowing that this, that the Purgles could, you know, jump to hyperspace and how seeing that for the first time 
in Rebels was really cool and how seeing it in live action for the first time was just as cool. But uh, building up to that, I was like, oh my gosh, are the tentacle parts going to show, are they going to be light up blue like they did in animation? Seeing all those differences and waiting for those moments to hit. And then I loved the New Republic people having to get out of the way. Mm -hmm. I thought that there was really, just really fun humor in this entire sequence. Seeing even Ahsoka is sort of filled with joy and humor and everything. And it's just this, like I've been saying a hundred times, it's like renewed Ahsoka and this Ahsoka that we know and love is back. Yeah. And I loved it. I can't wait to see what happens when they arrive. I'm so, like I said, I'm very nervous, but this journey that they're going on, what an epic ending to this already epic episode. I did not expect to get both Purgles and Hayden Christensen and <laughs> World Between Worlds in the same episode. Holy crap. It was just beautiful. Yeah, I I loved the end conversation between Ahsoka and Huyang of, okay, you know, you where are we going, Ahsoka? <laughs> she goes, no idea. <laughs> we'll just see where it goes. And Huyang is so freaked out. He goes, it could go anywhere. And Ahsoka says, I know, but that's better than nowhere. And I think <sighs> it's so good. And yeah, I don't think we've talked enough about the fact that there is this renewed Ahsoka at the end, not just like through the, the water and the, the baptism, but her personality. And there's a lightness about her now that we haven't seen in a really long time, actually, um, probably since season five of The Clone Wars. And it is better than going nowhere. You know, she 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 says to Hera, I'll find them. I'll bring them home. I promise. And we haven't heard that from her at all, right? Everything we've been talking about with Ezra, it's been it's been bait to get her and Sabine to help her. But now it's actually about Ezra, and it's actually about Sabine because she she's allowing herself to fully care about them and make kind of a selfish choice. Her conversation with Yu Yang in the, at the beginning of the next episode is is interesting um, in this regard, but. She's still going after them and, you know, banking on the fact that she'll be able to stop Thrawn as well. And I don't know. I loved seeing this. It's better because she's she has been going nowhere. She's been stuck. She's been stuck of just no more war, no more war, no more war. And that's it for however many years it's been. I'm not going to try and figure out the timeline right now. But <laughs> however many years it's been, that's been her only driving force. And it's it's gotten her nowhere except alone. Um, and now she has people to go after. And that's better than where she was before. <sighs> I love it. Me too. Yeah. All right. Are we ready to go to part six? Let's do it. All right. Part six, far, far away. Oof, this episode title was everything. <laughs> I think I've already said. I just want to say Charlotte couldn't watch this for 12 hours after it aired. Mm. I had to wait all mm -hmm. night to talk about Ezra. And I just, uh -huh. I need all of you to know that that was terrible. It was awful. It was the worst. You did a, you did a really good job at that because I actually didn't have any suspicions that this would be an episode that we found Ezra. Like I saw some people online being like, I bet this is going to be the episode in which we do. I just didn't believe it. And it was. So I'm really proud of you for keeping that all wrapped up. But um, yeah, it was really difficult to not watch it right away. I hate that yeah. <laughs> for me. Yeah. I hated it for me too. <laughs> I think all I texted you was another banger. <laughs> and I was like, great. That's all I need to sustain myself. It's not like it's going to make me watch it any faster. Like I'm going to watch it the fastest time I can. Yeah. But anyway, so good. I was... This is this is such an amazing episode. I think I've already commented on the fact that the visuals were otherworldly and very fairy tale. I don't know if I mentioned that, but 
I really did remind me, especially when Sabine was wandering Peridia, it reminded me of Willow, Mm -hmm. like the original Willow, honestly. It's sort of like a fetch quest type of vibe. And then the Ewok adventure movies too. It just felt very fairy tale. And I just like that Dave Filoni is exploring this other side. Um, Even some of the shots, I was like, this is Game of Mm Thronesy, And I loved that. How cool is that? The turtle people were also very hobbity. So, of course, Lord of the Rings inspired Dave Filoni constantly. So, and I love the fact that Balin calls this a land of dreams and madness because, yeah, it kind of is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we can feel it. And I also feel like with both part five and part six, that we're entering a full tonal shift into the series. Um, it got way more mystical than what we were dealing with before we were setting us up for us eventually arriving at Peridia I think or Ahsoka going through spiritual journey that she went through in the world between worlds and now we're here with Sabine on like a quest I guess in a lot of ways and meeting Thrawn and obviously there's like so much that goes into this episode oh my god but (laughs) it does feel like we have shifted like we are on the in the back half of the series and we're at the meat of it all. We're in, in the pl- things that we haven't seen in the trailers, right? We, <laughs> Uncharted territory. It full, I mean, I, the only thing that we've seen in the trailers, correct me if I'm wrong, is Thrawn. Yeah. And I, it, the, the world building, though, is completely new and different. And I love it. I love it. Yeah, I I really, really loved this episode. I loved seeing this world. I loved seeing the architecture, the design. I loved the witches of Dathomir, their whole look, the way they spoke. We're going to talk about them. Don't worry. But since we just finished with Ahsoka, let's also come to the beginning of this episode with Ahsoka and Yang and kind of wrap up our conversation about Ahsoka's character because uh, this is the only time we see her in this episode. I loved this conversation between Hu Yang and Ahsoka. Hu Yang, of course, he's wise beyond his years, 12,000 years old, 25,000. How can you not be? And he, I love that he's so in tune with the emotions of the people around him, even though he's a droid, right? I, I think it's very cool. So Sabine, she tells Hu Yang that the only thing she didn't tell Hera was that Sabine actually willingly went with Balin and gave him the map. And Hu Yang is like, that can't be true. Maybe she lit. I forget exactly what he says. Um, but then Ahsoka says she could have ended this. No Thrawn, no war. And which is very much kind of what she's been saying this whole time. And Hu Yang says, and no Ezra. And Ahsoka's word choice here is an interesting one. She says, Sabine was fated to make that choice. There wasn't enough time to prepare her to make the right one. And Hu Yang says, the force provides you with insight, but it doesn't give one all the answers. And Ahsoka says, meaning. And Hu Yang says, perhaps for Sabine, it was the only choice. And Ahsoka says, a choice she made for herself. Hu Yang says, that is your fear. And there's a pause, and then Ahsoka says, on second thought, tell me one of those stories. And Hu Yang says, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Um, and even the, the subtitles had four dots. <laughs> and I love Are you serious? Legit. I didn't know that. Legitimately. That's amazing. It was so good. This is one of those things that I would actually say that you might not like. Uh, yeah. How did you feel about this whole thing? I 
I loved it. It, it. You're right. It is something that feels like a thing I wouldn't like. Like it's too mm-hmm. meta. But I think or too much of like a Easter eggy call out kind of thing or mm-hmm. you're watching and, and you're watching Star Wars, <laughs> wink. But I think the fact that they are in fact going to another galaxy makes it feel a little different. Um, I don't know. I was really charmed by it. And the fact too that it is the beginning of the episode, it kind of feels like a almost like a little bit of a framing narrative um, to a certain degree as we go into the rest of the episode that that Ahsoka and Hugh Yang are actually not a part of. So it does feel like they kind of lead us into opening this fairy tale on Peridia with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And then we're on Peridia with without them for the rest of the episode. So I do think it works. The fact that there's that clip that's been circulating on Twitter for the past week now of back in at Celebration. It might have even been Celebration Anaheim when the Star Wars show asks Dave Filoni, can you please tell us where Ezra is? And Dave says, far, far away. And here he was in the episode far, far away. <laughs> it's it's so perfect. I want to go back to this conversation between Ahsoka and Yang because when Ahsoka says, you know, Sabine made a choice, she a choice she made for herself, right? What we what do we hear in that? So uh, Sabine made a selfish choice, which is what we were just talking about with selfless versus selfish and you know to say that Ahsoka had this rebirth and everything is true but she also can't turn off all of those things immediately right there is a lightness to her she wants to rescue Ezra and Sabine but there's also this other piece to it that she could have ended this there wouldn't be any risk of Thrawn or war but that pull to Ezra is still too strong and that attachment that family that means something too. And it, it, it wasn't a choice for Sabine, as Hu Yang points out. It was the only choice. She had no choice but to go and rescue Ezra. This is her life's purpose right now. This is her dream. And you can't call that right or wrong. I think that's kind of what Hu Yang is, is maybe implying here, that it's a different choice than you would have made but that doesn't make it wrong. What did you think about the the title and a long time ago? Oh, I liked it. Yeah. I I thought it was funny that there was a conversation that we didn't pull out the quotes here about how I think Ahsoka says history of the galaxy parts one, two, and three, one being the best one, of course. <laughs> and I was like, okay, <laughs> Dave, what are you saying? Which are one? You, are you saying, Which one are you saying that an, a new hope is the best? best Star Wars movie? Or are you saying The Phantom Menace is the best Star Wars movie? Or are you saying The Force Awakens? Because it's meta, right? But I, I'm just like, oh, okay. I think it's supposed to be like you can read in your own whatever number one is. Because you could even say The High Republic then is technically number one for what we mm. know so far. Um, that's the earliest just, chronological story we have. I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think it's more meta than just like High Republic. I think it's supposed to be like the movies. But yeah, no, I agree. But I just thought that was funny. I, I loved it. I thought it was cute. And I liked, I think you're so right when you talk about the fact that all a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away is, is Once Upon a Time. Yeah. So starting our most fairy tale Star Wars episode ever with this just makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. The, also, when we started here, I was like, this is actually the last time we're going to see Ahsoka this episode. I feel it yeah. because they're traveling and it's not, not, we're not going to get that. 
But um, the moment we get to Peridia, I think that's where we should really be. Um, the statues, the barren wasteland of it all, the uh, Purgle graveyard as like the rings around the planet. It's so spooky and I loved it. I think opening up with Sabine and seeing that she's just really in hot water and you know that her with the choice to go with basically the bad guys to another galaxy really did cost her a lot. And we immediately see those repercussions, the fact that she shouldn't be trusting anyone. The moment we see the Death of Mary Witch, like, oh my God, I can't believe we have these really awesome, super cool Death of Mary Witches in, in this with these like balls that form this net around her that could very well be like thread almost. Um, I think you really see that Sabine is regretting it, regretting all of her choices that led her to this moment, but then also trying to make the most of it and ensuring that a deal, like that she had a deal with Balin. I was happy to see Sabine again after one episode of not seeing her. Yeah, I miss her. I, I think that um, Natasha continues to be a standout for the series and her performance is so good. I think I think Ezra's given her a run for her money though, honestly. <laughs> for you. For me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was very happy to see her back uh, in this episode. And I, I still don't think she regrets her choices. I think she's just unsure what her next move is and trying to figure it out. And yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, we see her kind of. And the thing too about this episode is that I, it was like around every corner, I kept expecting to see Ezra and like what that reaction would be. I almost expected Ezra to be the one to rescue Sabine out of prison when she was first brought down to that cell. I, I expected to see him like drop out of an air, air duct or something like we saw him do so many times <laughs> in Rebels of just figuring out how to get himself out of uh, prison cells and stuff like that. Or I thought that he might also be imprisoned himself. So I thought that too. I mean, it is kind of wild that they didn't know. It's clear that Thrawn doesn't know where Ezra is mm -hmm. and that he has evaded them this whole time. And I found that really interesting. I yeah. wasn't expecting that at all. It's so interesting to think about what Ezra has been doing on this planet and how he's evaded Thrawn this whole time. But to, to go back to kind of this beginning moment here when we meet the great mother, great mothers, plural, um, and the, these three Dathomiri witches, you know, talking to Morgan Elsbeth um, about calling her across the stars, all of this. And when they look to Sabine and say, it reeks of Jedi, which is very interesting. Our whole conversation about Sabine and is she a Jedi? Is she not? Can she use the force? But on another galaxy, a witch is calling her a Jedi. So, well, okay. She's not really calling her a Jedi. She's calling, she's saying that she smells like Jedi. Okay. I think she's calling so her a Jedi. She, was she around? I agree. I agree. Not I just, just the, the odor, looking. odor of Ahsoka on her. <laughs> or I guess Balin and Shin too. <laughs> I wonder if she was like, oh, that's like so nice. Thank you. I kind of think she was. Her face after that was like, who, me? Wow. Okay. <laughs> confidence boost she needed. Oh my God. You like my perfume? Thank you. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm really trying. I'm okay. trying so hard. <laughs> I, I loved seeing the witches. I thought they were so cool. I One thing I wanted to point out here is that the witches call Sabine a loose thread. 
witch. Mm-hmm. Love this phrasing. We're going to talk about this some more with the witches. But this really reminded me of my – if you were around pre The Rise of Skywalker, I had this very ill-fated <laughs> theory about Rey, and I called her an accidental fracture um, and that she was something outside the norm, outside of the tangled Skywalker family master apprentice tree, and that this is why she was ultimately going to be the one to break the cycle because she was this accidental fracture that no one saw coming. And – That didn't end up being true, but hearing Sabine be called a loose thread here was kind of a similar concept to me of she's the wild card. She's the loose thread, something that doesn't have a clear beginning or end point um, that wasn't planned in this whole big scheme to get Thrawn and I guess the, the sisters, the great mother as well, off of Dathomir. And I love this concept of... The, the accidental fracture of the loose thread of someone coming in and doing things in a new way that no one can predict and no one expected. And I think having Sabine as this Mandalorian Jedi kind of fits the bill perfectly for that. Yeah, I would, I would say that when Thrawn is like how that singular focus to find Ezra basically will reshape our galaxy and how initially when Thrawn learns that Sabine is sort of a stowaway for the rest of the the new arrivals. Um, He's a little unsure because it's not part of the original plan, but that is exactly true. Like what is her involvement of being there going to do to shake the foundation of whatever Thrawn has planned? Um, I think that things will change based off of Mm -hmm. her being there. Well, he, he tells, he tells them to, he tells Shin and Balin to go kill Ezra and Sabine so he's like I'm not messing with them again (laughs) right right and I I honestly like don't blame him because I think that like he's like oh I didn't expect to see these two again all right let's let's cut them off at the source because now I have these rogue Jedi people who are also here and I don't really know how I feel about them either yeah I think Thrawn's um, alliances are really interesting actually because when I was watching part six I was thinking Morgan Elsbeth is sort of nothing to Thrawn besides a ride to outside of this galaxy, right? Like she she completed her task. Now she's here, but I do think that Thrawn is going to throw her to the side. Mm-hmm. And I I feel the same way about Balin and Shin. Balin and Shin are nothing to Thrawn. If Balin and Shin both die in battle with Ezra and Sabine, it's it's okay. Like Thrawn, I don't think he even freaking cares. Like he has a whole legion with him. Um, that is all, you know, bumped up and a little raggedy, but he does have the troops. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that everyone that arrived there basically with Morgan um, is a threat, is on the chopping block, yes, for, for Thrawn. I don't think he even cares. And I think that's like a mark of a good villain also, is recognizing that he doesn't really need anyone around him to complete anything. Yeah. I mean, all throughout Rebels, Thrawn is always the smartest person in the room and he knows it. So calculated. Yeah. And he, he, he's always thinking seven steps ahead. It's why he tells Sabine that he's like, no, we'll give you, I'm going to honor Valen's deal with you. I'm going to give you a ride. I'm going to give you weapons. I'm going to give you your weapon back, the lightsaber. Um, and I'll give you the last coordinates, like go on your merry way. And I guess if you make it back in time, you can come back too. Meanwhile, he's like, great, Sabine's going to go find Ezra. They're going to be together. 
and then two birds, one stone kind of vibe. And I can close this stupid rebel chapter that has evaded me for how many years <laughs> and, uh, you know, get a little revenge out of it as well for what Ezra did to me. Um, and mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, what he says about Balin and Shin at the end of the episode too, when he finds out when the mothers are like, Ahsoka's coming in a whale <laughs> and he looks at Morgan, <laughs> he's like, I thought you said she was dead. <laughs> Ahsoka's coming in a whale. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I think she says, I, know why that's so funny. <laughs> I think they actually say something more, um, ominous, like a traveler comes <laughs> or something like yeah. that. <laughs> um, but you can see the look on Morgan's face of like, oh, crap. Um, and she tells Thrawn, she says, uh, Valen is the one who told me Ahsoka was dead. And Thrawn's response is, well, he was once a Jedi, so we know he's flawed. So we're going to assume he's lying from here on out. And Oh, boy. Yeah. You know, uh, you're right. He just he doesn't he doesn't care about anyone. Um, no, he's just super calculated. Yeah. And- I think the only people that he cares about or will work with are the great mothers because they're the only ones that have any power in this situation outside of him. He's got the ship exactly. now. He's got the coordinates. He doesn't need Morgan. He just needs to get Ahsoka right now is the only person that I think he thinks poses a threat. So he's got to get rid of her and anyone else, whatever. But yeah. Do you think that those troopers that are kintsugi mask and have this red ribbon all over them almost like a, the red string of fate and everything like that do you think that they're zombies I don't know I at, at some point too I was like is Enoch Ezra I was like has he been I know I thought that too and I was prepared for that me too I was prepared for him to be working undercover like I said when I thought he could be the one to rescue Sabine when she was put in the cell I thought one of those troopers was going to come it was going to be a aren't you a little short to be a stormtrooper kind of moment um right. I was ready for that too but I also was ready for him to be kind of brainwash and be mm-hmm. Enoch um because again thinking about that Ryan Johnson question of what's the hardest thing for our characters to hear For Sabine, it would be that Ezra has, you know, turned quote unquote evil or that he doesn't want to leave. Something like that, I think, would be the hardest for her to hear. And we didn't get either one of those things. So, (laughs) well, yeah, I think that this was almost too easy. This reunion. It is. It is. It is. It is. I'm I'm worried. I'm really stressed, Caitlin, because I it didn't go as I thought it would which is totally fine. I just really didn't think it would be that easy. But of, of course, like sometimes Star Wars, it is with it, with Star Wars, it is that easy. Okay. And then something else happens after it. Has it but, been that easy? She literally went to another galaxy. Yeah. But it was like a joyful little reunion Yeah, I know. with like a puppy and turtle men. Oh, and I just feel like it was, it was easy. It was. And it's not easy. It was just, I really expected to see Ezra in like a different state. And I'm glad that he's not. Like, I think we're much better for the way that we <laughs> found Ezra in this way. It's like very much brings world warm feelings to my heart. Okay. But I, uh, because it was so warm and fuzzy, I'm worried about what lies next <laughs> on this journey. Because what has, first off, I think I need a flashback with Ezra about what has been happening on this planet. How did that. he and Thrawn get here? I think we might. And I think that understanding Ezra's own struggles for the past like 10 years will be more like will help me understand how I'm supposed to feel about Ezra still like Ezra and Thrawn's like own relationship too I think it will be helpful um but that whole piece was like easier than I thought 
uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I think that just to go back to your previous comment about how the only people that Thrawn seems to fully care about are the Dathomiri witches and me bringing up like, are, the, are they zombies or something like that? It's very clear, almost like Chekhov's gun, that we're going to get some dark magic with a K throughout the next two episodes. That's how they spell it in the subtitles with a K. I know. Yeah. That's why I, that's why I said it yeah. that, that way. It's so crazy. And the fact that the three mothers, let's let's just get into it. The three mothers are the holders of fate. They are the fates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in Greek mythology, guess what the fates are known as? Morai. Morai! <laughs> it's insane. It's insane. And even the three fates here are credited and named as the three fates in Greek mythology. Clotho, Lachius, and Atropos. I think I'm probably saying those wrong, but um, one of them, the spinner, Clotho, is the Greek myth. I'm so bad at Greek mythology. Caitlin, you're so much better at it than I, I am because I am like negative zero. I don't know a lot about um, the fates, only that it's like the the string of fate. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's that's the one that Clotho, who is known as the spinner, has the the string of fate and is able to cut the threads off with her scissors. That's how you, they control people's destiny and life and things like that. And I think that it's very clear that that's what we're experiencing here. It's something that we actually flagged immediately with Morgan Elsbeth, who says that all she cares about is fate and mm-hmm. destiny and things like that. And the earlier episodes, we were like, that is interesting and different and um, doesn't necessarily square with how I understand destiny in Star Wars because my perception of destiny in Star Wars, as we've talked about for hours on this on this podcast, is that you have the power to shape your own destiny. And your destiny is not fully uh, controlled by some other being. It is supported by the force. It's supported by external forces, but ultimately you have the power to change your path at any moment. And I I feel very strongly about that, that that is the message of Star Wars. So it's interesting to me that we introduce like these magical beings whose entire center is structuring fate. Mm -hmm. And how are they going to use that in this new galaxy where the rules are renewed and different? Dreams and madness where fairy tales come to life. I am so... It's so interesting. So then when we go back to the concept of um, Sabine being a loose thread, thread equals fate equals cutting it off equals death. I'm very concerned. Um, I I don't know. I just think it's, I think it's really curious that the great mothers here are the fates and the, uh, we see it's not just in Greek mythology that we see these fates. It's constantly in stories, including Macbeth, which we've referenced already here, actually, um, on this podcast when talking about Ahsoka with Toil and Trouble, that episode. Um, it's just fascinating, and I cannot believe. <laughs> Last night when I was Googling, you know, Greek mythology, the fates, and it came up as Morai, I gasped so loud, I I couldn't handle it. Um <laughs> I should have known that, but I, I maybe at some point I forgot it. I don't know. Yeah, I kind of keep thinking, you know, with my excellent Greek mythology knowledge about the movie Hercules and okay. the, the fates, <laughs> the fates in the they're in the movie and they've got I the know. scissors. That's what I think of, um, you know, and they can't cut Meg's thread because 
Hercules has saved her and become a Greek god himself. Or he's they can't cut Hercules' thread because he's become a Greek god. Um, (laughs) So yeah, they've they've got the the thread of fate. I mean, thinking about this idea of fate and the force, right? It's interesting that Ahsoka uses that word that about Sabine in the beginning of the episode that Sabine was fated to make that choice. And then at the end, when the witches are talking to Thrawn and Thrawn says he's going to need some of their dark magic and they say the thread of destiny demands it this this it's eerie it's eerie it's super eerie it's very ominous and then not to mention the fact that the stormtroopers these stormtroopers that have been co- cobbled together Kintsugi style mm-hmm. are pushing these crates that look like small coffins out within this hangar and so many people have speculated that they're like undead zombies or the undead coming alive and when we talk about that the Mary witches that what we've seen in star wars thus far is possession is zombies is coming back to life is so many different things relative to like spooky witches right Mm -hmm. so i think whatever they're pushing is so intriguing to so many people and i can't wait to see what's next for this but it does make me very worried that we have these all-powerful witches who are controlling fate and this just i need to repeat it again that i think it's very fascinating that the show is centering destiny and fate as something that's almost like weaponized Mm -hmm. um I don't know. It's not, we've never experienced this in Star Wars before. And I, because I trust Dave Filoni's storytelling so much with Star Wars and I'm such a fan, I can't wait to see what this says about my previous understanding of destiny within Star Wars. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. But the thing is, destiny can be anything. But when you have a loose thread in there, that changes it all. The that, accidental fracture. The accidental <laughs> fracture. It rewrites it. So I think this is a good segue to talk about Balin and Shin because Balin's little monologues here, I I think a, perhaps a bit of a weakness of the show so far has been Balin and Shin. Now, don't freak out when I say that. I think they've been great. Ray Stevenson has been incredible as Balin. But getting to the motivation of what they're even doing, you know, it's episode six and we're kind of only – just now hearing a little bit more about Balin's motivation. He doesn't even really share it with Shin. Shin doesn't know what it is up until this point. Um, I think that is a bit of a weakness that it's kind of taken this long and it's still kind of ambiguous (laughs) what exactly they're doing. (laughs) But the ominous tone with which Balin delivers these monologues (laughs) is kind of incredible. He talks about, um, you know, he says, this is a land of dreams and madness. Children's stories come to life. And Shin says, sometimes stories are just stories. <laughs> and I love what Balin says here. He says, when I was a bit older than you now, I watched everything I knew burn. I couldn't make sense of it at the time. As you get older, you look at history, though. You realize that it's all inevitable. The fall of the Jedi, rise of the Empire, it repeats again and again and again. And Shin says, then isn't it our turn now? Won't our alliance with Thrawn bring us into power? And Balin responds, that sort of power is fleeting. What I seek is the beginning, so I may finally bring this cycle to an end. And if you were around at the Rise of Skywalker speculation, you know that the only thing Charlton talked about was cycles ending. And that was, we hung everything. 
on this theory of Ray being an accidental fracture and bringing the cycle of war to an end. That's what Maz Kanata talks about in The Force Awakens of, I see the same eyes and different people, the Empire, the First Order, it's all the same thing. It just goes by a different name. It's this cycle repeating over and over and over again. And for us, Ray and Kylo being this dyad, we didn't have that term at the time, but this this duo of light side and dark side, a dark sider pulled to the light, a light sider who has darkness within her, that it was a new definition of balance and a new way to break the cycle of someone, Kylo, who represented kind of the beginning of the cycle with Anakin and Luke and all of that. And then have Ray, someone who is unrelated at all, for them to come together. It's that different kind of balance that breaks the cycle. That isn't the story that was ultimately told there. But to see it here with Balin, someone who recognizes that cycle as repeating and needing to come to an end, so much so to the point that he goes to a different galaxy to figure out how to get a restart button, <laughs> I think is is really important, honestly, for myself, and I would say a little bit for you too, but I won't speak for you, Charlotte, of trusting that Lucasfilm storytelling is aware of this cycle and like that things need to change. Cause I think we really question that after the rise of Skywalker. And I'll also say that Star Wars in general, the way that the story is set up, it kind of has to be cyclical in nature for it to continue <laughs> um, existing yeah. in the real world. Especially the fact that this story takes place before what we're talking about with the sequel trilogy. Exactly. Yeah, so. exactly. But the fact that it's come after <laughs> it's been shown yeah. to us, the audience. So uh let me re-say that too. I, I think that Star Wars to a certain extent has to be cyclical in this rise of uh, or in this battle of good versus evil, selfish versus selfless for every new generation that is coming, right? Like to exist as the franchise as it's written, it kind of has to do that to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. But within the story of having characters recognize this cycle and strive to break it, strive to be an accidental fracture, a loose thread, thread themselves, I think is also really important to the story that someone is trying to break this cycle. So to have Balin actually verbalize that this is a cycle he wants to break, for me, I was like, whoa, <laughs> I, I've been waiting for this phrase <laughs> specifically yes. in Star Wars <laughs> for a long time. And I love it. And the the other thing that I really loved that he had to say that was also meta was later on when Shin asks, do you miss it, the order? And Balin says, I miss the idea of it, but not the truth, the weakness. There was no future there. And Shin says, you can see and you clearly see one here in this wasteland. And Balin says, I see what once was the great kingdom of the Dathomiri. The existence of the great mothers confirms this. And Shin says, they seem eager to leave this place. Perhaps we should too. And Balin says, perhaps they fear a power greater than their own. Something calls to me. Don't you hear it? Something stirs here. Don't you see it? And I love one, this like whole phrase as it's written is very poetic it's kind of lyrical it's kind of like don't you don't you hear it don't you see it like it's coming like it's a little bit of madness too i would say mm -hmm. from balin a bit of an obsession there for someone who is kind of so straightforward and so carefully spoken i would say and i just i i loved this i love this whole concept this i miss the idea of the jedi is also very meta, I think, for the Star Wars fandom as a whole and how we think about mm -hmm. the Jedi a lot of the times. Um, mm -hmm. But that wasn't the truth of who they were. And to see a Jedi like Balin 
also recognize that because I don't think Kanan was ever really there. Kanan definitely had moments throughout Rebels of talking about the flaws of the Jedi, but he still was very much like Shin points or like Balin says to Shin. Kanan trained Ezra as a Boken Jedi in the ways of the temple without the temple because Kanan still believed in the Jedi, whereas Balin is not there. And I think it's cool to see a Jedi who probably was, you know, with Kanan and Ahsoka in the Jedi Order, um, but came away very changed from it in kind of a negative way. Uh, and, And I just, I thought what he had to say was very meta overall and is we're finally starting to get to what Balin wants out of all of this too, which I think it was way past time to kind of be drilling into this in the show, but it it makes sense to save it here for Peridia as well. I think. Totally. I have a question. Mm -hmm. Do you think that everything that Balin is saying could have been said by Ahsoka as well? Mm. Because even reading it, I'm like, I think this is how Ahsoka thinks about the Jedi and or has at some point in her life thought about the Jedi this way. This cycle, this breaking it, the fact that she openly to Huang has been like, this isn't that's not how I'm training <laughs> uh Sabine yeah. in this old way of the Jedi. I don't really care that much about that. So even like the the lusting over the missing the old ways or like the idea of the Jedi. I think that's Ahsoka too. I think so. I think you're right because she she hers was different though. She was abandoned by the Jedi, whereas Balin yes. lost the Jedi. Um, mm-hmm. I would say that Balin actually also feels a little abandoned by the Jedi too because he thinks that yeah. it, they're so flawed that he was left behind based off of their flaws. Yeah, I no, I think you're probably right there. Yeah, but and that's the thing too about characters like this is a very thin line separates them. Um, and we've exactly. heard Star Wars characters talked about like this before too. Um, you know, mm-hmm. a very thin line separates them, but they end up on two very different paths: one for good, one for evil. If if we can really even call what Balin is doing evil with like a capital mm-hmm. E, right? Um, I don't think I can. I don't think I can honestly. either. Um, so yeah, I just I loved. I loved what he had to say throughout these episodes uh, or in in this episode, the way that he talked about the Jedi and what he wants to do. And yeah, he, he and Shin really bring that fairy taleness up to another level, even thinking about how they're dressed kind of like knights, like knights knights in shining armor, especially Shin, but Balin too, you know, he's, I was watching him in this episode, like, good God, he's standing up so straight. His his shoulders aren't even moving. (laughs) Posture goals. I feel like he, the more I think about Balin, and I know I'm beating a dead horse about this, but I think we're supposed to think about these two characters, Ahsoka and Balin, even Anakin and Balin, and this triangle of masters and apprentices, um, or this lineage that exists. Um, We're supposed to think about how similar they are. And how their plan is to do things in a different way. And what does that mean? What does that mean for us as the audience and our perception of the Jedi? I think in a lot of ways, and I've talked about this on the show before, but I think Lucasfilm doesn't, if I could like zoom out a little bit, I don't know if Lucasfilm wants us to dislike the Jedi as a whole, right? 
And I, I want to be very careful when I say this, but like, I think that the Clone Wars as they existed really showed how flawed and blinded and everything the Jedi Order was. And that entire, like the concept of the prequels, which was obviously George Lucas's vision and everything to show this like downfall of these great warriors. What I think the, the net result of that sometimes within fandom and fandom conversations is the Jedi are literally terrible. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that, but I think that that is sort of the yeah. prevailing ethos that comes out of that. And I don't think that that is Lucasfilm's goal. I think the goal is ultimately it was to show that even the people when you fight on the good side can be blinded by darkness so easily and your own pride can get in the way of so many things but that doesn't mean you're a bad person it just means that bad things can happen I guess I think that in a lot of ways we don't need the name of the Jedi to be continuously sullied in these kind of conversations of cyclical natures and how we're rebuilding the Jedi and things like that. We want the Jedi to be good. I think Lucasfilm as a studio and in a marketing sense wants the Jedi to be good, (laughs) you know? And I think when we compare Balin and Ahsoka, it's sort of clear to me that Ahsoka restarting and taking some of these ideas and things that Balin says about the Jedi. And of course, like it's complicated as you were saying, because we haven't gotten to the sequel trilogy where this, the Jedi as an idea are once again tested in the sequel trilogy. And we end on a point in the sequel trilogy where the Jedi are still the good guys. And I think that you are supposed to hope that Rey is going to start a new Jedi order in her own way. Mm -hmm. We of course didn't see that, but I think that that is the next step for her journey. And there's a hope there. And I think understanding like what does that mean and why do we want that at the end of the sequel trilogy because we want renewal we want goodness to prevail I don't know why I'm saying this I just want to keep reminding myself that my perception of the Jedi as seen through the viewport of the Clone Wars and the prequels I I can be critical of it but I'm not on the side of it's not worth saving (laughs) I think that there is solid tenets to the Jedi and I think that that's what Ahsoka sees as well. But I I don't think Balin really sees that. I think he sees the idea of it versus the the nitty-gritty of why the Jedi are the good guys. And I think Ahsoka sees that. But I, we could get there eventually. I could I could that's what I would bet. I don't know. Yeah, I think no, I think you're right to bring up this concept that the Jedi are not bad they're flawed right but that this carries a lot of weight often in fandom but also i think it sometimes it doesn't because at the end of the day we all love the the jedi exactly and when you're thinking about like lucasfilm marketing the jedi to like younger audiences too it's like they're the hero even thinking about young jedi adventures like oh it's these cute kids and like they're gonna grow up to be jedi and how great is that they're gonna be the hero you should be the hero in your own day-to-day life little kid you know but the other important thing i think about thinking about this cyclical nature is that every time evil rises there is also goodness rising too and that that has taken the form of the jedi many times throughout the millennia they have been the heroes and then it's you know it's the rebellion it's the resistance but there's always goodness rising to combat the evil that is rising in the galaxy and that the jedi have just as much been a part of of 
thwarting that as they have also succumbed to it as well. And that is also part of the cyclical nature. I'm reminded of a passage. I can't remember which High Republic book it is. I want to say it's Light of the Jedi. But it's, do you remember, it's one page. It's a council meeting with the Jedi Order. And is it, I forget which Jedi, it, it, which Jedi Master it is. But he basically talks about how the size of the Jedi Order has fluctuated so much over the millennia that it has been thousands of people. It has been five people. It has been no people before. Um, but that there, there has been, there have been Jedi um, standing for peace and justice and also fighting for peace and justice throughout throughout the galaxy for as long as Jedi have been a concept. And I think it's important to kind of see this, this idea of the Jedi challenge in every kind of generation because good people succumb to bad things and bad things happen to them, just like you were talking about, Charlotte. And we even see this reflected with the government of the New Republic um, throughout this time period as well, that they, like the Jedi of the prequels, are blinded by the dark side. They're blinded by the um, the Imperial people still working there who are selling them this good tale of, yeah, we're reformed. Everything's fine. And they're, the, the New Republic is going to fall very similarly to how the Jedi Order fell of the prequels of not seeing the thing right underneath their noses the whole time kind of vibe. And I actually hadn't really thought of that before. And it's very interesting <laughs> to think about now in the way that the Jedi Order did not let like Palpatine was there the whole time running the show. And they didn't realize it until it was too late. And I think something very similar will happen with the New Republic as the dark side, the Empire, is growing, the First Order, is growing under their watch. And they are kind of refusing to deal with it in a very similar way that the Jedi were like, the dark side is clouding things. All right, what's next on the agenda? (laughs) (laughs) I think that all of that cyclical nature will come back with Thrawn if they return to the other galaxy mm-hmm. with Thrawn. Yeah. yeah. I I think that what Dave will probably do is fuse some of this lore with the rise of the First Order yeah. and make us think a little bit more about what this means. I don't know. I think it's all quite interesting. I think that throughout this entire episode, Shin was serving so many looks yeah, let's talk about <laughs> let's Sabine. talk about Shin and Sabine. Yeah, sorry, sorry, we got so hypothetical for like twenty minutes, but I, I just felt like we needed to talk about that. Well, okay, wait. Can I ask you this first before we dive into Shin and Sabine? Do you think that Thrawn is actually going to make it back? Yeah, I do. Yeah, okay, I do. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think that Thrawn could be a good villain in upcoming series, like mm-hmm. in up- upcoming shows. And I think it would bridge some of the confusion around the rise of the First Order in the sequel trilogy. I don't know. I think it could be cool. Yeah. And if we're going to introduce him as a big villain, it just makes sense. Might as well use him. we've seen him before. Might as well. So I think he's going to make it back. I think it's going to be tough. And I don't know how it's going to happen. But yeah, I do think he's going to make it back. Okay. I think so too. Um, okay. All right. Let's go back to Shin and Sabine. All right. Shin and Sabine, I think both the apprentices sharing these looks, they're very similar. We've stated on the show, we do ship them together. But I think that there's a lot to read into Shin's like insane eyes (laughs) in all these looks that she's serving. Because 
I really feel like she is not going to stay with Balin. And that in some act in the very end of this show, Shin is going to change sides or become more of a lone wolf in some way because I just don't think she buys anything that Balin is telling her. I think that she feels like she's been dragged on this journey and doesn't understand her place in it to the point where she's asked so many times about their place in it. And the the answers that she's receiving are like long-winded drolls of days of the past and <laughs> how they're different. And I, I just don't think she understands yet. And I think because we know and we've established that I don't think Thrawn even cares about them. I think Balin does care about Shin. I'm not saying that, but I think that Shin might see a different path for herself than what Balin sees because I don't think that she's, she's not picturing whatever he's picturing. She's not seeing it. It's different. I don't know. I don't think she does yet because the fact that mm. she's even gone on this journey knowing next to nothing, knowing the same that we do as the audience because she's the one asking these questions. I think she's all in with Balin or she trusts him enough to be all in despite not knowing. But I think she's starting to question things literally and figuratively, hence all of the the loaded looks to Sabine <laughs> of, well, you have a master and you like really disobeyed your master. So what's that about? That's a thing you yeah. can do. Yeah. Let me throw out a wild speculation here. This is, I don't okay. know where this came from, but this is a wild speculation. I wildly speculate that Balin will not make it to the end of the series and that Shin. I don't know if that's so wild. No, but. <laughs> no, no, no. This is the next wild part. Okay. That Balin will not make it to the end of the series and that Shin will stay on Peridia and create a new thing on Peridia after whatever ba – figuring out more what Balin wants, um, that she will stay on Peridia and become the queen of this new land. When we were just talking before, I was thinking about that exact scenario, oh, but okay. more in ties with her and the Death of Mary Witches. Because I think her entire look is like kind of witchy in a lot of ways. The, like white hair. <laughs> she has, yeah. yeah, she has like haunting eyes, the otherworldly white hair, the nightly look. I think she is supposed to, when they come to this world, it's like, oh, you were designed for this world. Yeah, she's right? Yeah. And I think, so just to add on to your point, I'm like, how, if I'm thinking all the different ways that the Dathomir magic, dark magic stuff is going to come into play, um, I actually think it includes Shin. Just, yeah, I just think it does. Yeah. I don't know. It could, it could not, but. Well, if the witches also leave with Thrawn, which I think, I think if Thrawn leaves, I think the witches will leave as well because they become a very powerful tool for him in in the Star Wars, in the Star Wars galaxy, we know um, our our OG Star Wars galaxy, I guess. So I think Shin being left alone on this planet would be really interesting because if she ends up hearing whatever it is that is calling to Balin and harnesses it herself, it could be interesting. What if Ahsoka stays? I'm not ready to think about that. So. <laughs> Gonna blow right past it. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna blow right past it. The other thing I'm gonna blow. I right think past it's a possibility. Is, not gonna lie. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay, but that comment that I read earlier today does talk about Ahsoka, Kanan, and Ezra going off and finding their finding their own fight. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that tracks with where Ahsoka is character developmentally. Of 
Yeah. You can't – that's the other thing about the Jedi, right? Is And like that whole thing we were talking about with the, the goodness or the ungoodness of the Jedi is that you can't live your life completely selfishly or selflessly. You can't do it. That's not what it is to be human. And all of these stories, this mythology of Star Wars is supposed to reflect something about ourselves as people. That's the whole point of story, right? To see – choices that we would make realized in these characters and to use their trials and tribulations to help us in our own life or just give us something to think about in the way that we're living. And I don't think that Ahsoka abandoning her galaxy, unless she sees cause to, is like a good character point for her. Maybe if it's in a, I guess, I guess she could do it in a sacrificial nature of like similar to Kanan like putting Savine and Ezra on the ship and she's not able to go. I guess that's something. But then I can't see Savine and Ezra being like, all right, well, we came back for Ezra here, but we're not going to try and come back for Ahsoka here. Right. Um, yeah. So, I think that yeah. the under, like the underlying thesis of Star Wars is that love is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Not being alone. Love is so powerful. Yeah. So I, I think – that has to come into fruition to this newfound Ahsoka, this renewed Ahsoka somehow. It could be sacrificial, but I don't actually think it is. I don't either. So I don't, I'm curious to see where the series ends with her because I'm like constantly surprised, I think, by Ahsoka's journey, like in every iteration. Yeah. So eager to see where that goes. But I think that I was probably thinking about that comment that you read earlier in the show, yeah. honestly, about going to a new galaxy. But But I think that the... The introduction of a new galaxy in a series begs for there to be stories on and in this new new galaxy. With Shin. So maybe that's Shin. Yeah. yeah, maybe that's Shin. I I could see a version where this ends, where they're all back. Thrawn and the witches are back as well, and it ends with this right because we know that this story is eventually going to lead into, likely going to lead into Dave Filoni's film debut, directorial debut, which is probably about some, if not all of these characters in the Mandoverse on some level. But say the series ends, because too, I can't imagine Sabine and Ezra coming back without Ahsoka and having to tell Hera that. And it's just like the same thing all over again. I guess that is cyclical though. <laughs> yeah, it goes, it goes back to what <laughs> Balin was saying. <laughs> but for them all to be on the, to get back, They've been kicked out of the the New Republic. Hera's lost her command. Something has happened. And they become like the first, they become the first resistance cell um, committed to to thwarting Thrawn, but together. That's what Ahsoka's going to say. We'll figure out how to beat Thrawn together because she hasn't been doing that before. It's been all on their own. And then like we pan out and it's Ahsoka and Sabine. They're together and Hera's like doing something with Chopper and Ezra is teaching Jason his first lightsaber lesson and it's like they're all together on the ghost I mean that would be lovely (laughs) can we can we get something (laughs) so lovely maybe well let's talk about the things that were so lovely in this episode okay because we're we're really hype we got we got deeply hypothetical at our at like hour and a half into this (laughs) we're not even we don't even have any alcohol guys it's like it's like the middle of a Saturday yeah yeah I we need to talk about how Sabine gets gifted this wolf to ride. And of course it's like this rat looking wolf thing. And initially I was frightened Mm -hmm. by this thing. And then it immediately got so cute and so nice. (laughs) Just like, 
the best little dog. So I guess they're called Howlers. I guess that's confirmed. I don't know. Yeah. And loved that. And I loved the fact that the Howler did like brought Sabine to Ezra through all these different clues. It was amazing. But I just want to comment that the Howler is fully modeled after Dave and his wife Anne's dog that they recently got. And there's there's no he fully is like mm-hmm. this wolfy dog. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I loved that. I remember seeing the silhouette of the wolves like when we first went into the castle yes. and I was like, oh, I was like, oh, that's cute. Of course, he had to put in like some wolves, some wolf creatures here. Great. That's what I said. And too. then and then we got a whole like a whole character arc. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <just> perfectly lines up. <laughs> Maybe this. I w- it's funny because I was thinking uh, about how I miss the our pet Lothcat without a name, our nameless pet Lothcat, and now we have a nameless Howler. Howler. Why can't I say that word? Howler. Howler. And I'm already sad thinking about having to leave him on this planet. I think he'll be sad to leave Sabine. And then I was thinking, oh, they can take him with them. And then I was thinking, oh, but then he won't have his other friends his other howler friends his pack yeah and that also makes me sad so yeah this is the problem of going to a new galaxy (laughs) right (laughs) you're leaving people behind you introduce us to cool new stuff and we want to go back to the galaxy that we're familiar with but we can't because (laughs) we have to say goodbye to our new pet friends we have to say goodbye to the cool new stuff although i guess that is awesome i guess this one could if they take him back to lethal he could become part of the lothwolf um pack that would be that is an option but i don't that's what i kind of thought what it was in the very beginning me too but then of course we're not on lethal so it can't be exactly a lost yeah um so i don't know what our hallower friend would want most um and i just wanted to be happy and not sad okay so when we find ezra we find ezra with these tiny hobbit little turtle guys who were so funny and cool and i loved them i loved the introduction so much and it was so whimsical and fairy tale and do we think that this was a full puppet i don't know or cgi mixture i'm sure it's a mixture i feel like that's what they like to do now yeah i want to see like what did they build for this puppet Mm -hmm. I want to see that. I want someone to post that because I thought this was – they were so cute and I loved it. And But let me tell you, I was really nervous over the howler constantly licking his chops. <laughs> when they start off into – like when Sabine finally – then they make this connection and Sabine follows them into the little like village, their traveling village, and the howler is like licking his chops. I'm like, oh no, this is going to be bad. This is not good. No, I not, trusted I'm so him. on edge. I trusted him. After once he and Sabine bonded, I was like, he's for Sabine 100. He's not going to do anything. He's going to want to talk about the yeah yeah. Let's talk about boy. the bonding because I I think this was a good moment when Sabine was yelling at the dog, which was sad. I'm not saying like good for Sabine for yelling, whatever. Um, but the fact that she was like, "You were a coward. Like you abandoned me. Mm-hmm. You left me." think in that moment, well, this might be sort of a stretch, but I think I was thinking about how Sabine might have some sort of feelings of frustration towards Ezra leaving everyone mm-hmm. at the end of Rebels and how that that could have come out in this moment when she's about to m- meet him and is so frustrated and alone and dejected, yeah. you know? I really thought that that was her referencing that frustration. I I saw you put this note in in our Google Notes and I'm I'm not sure how I feel about it because I think that I think Sabine is obviously sad that Ezra is gone, 
but I think she also understands what he did. So I I don't, I don't think think you can understand something, but then also feel like for the past 10 years, I didn't know where you were. I feel alone. I mean, she says there, there's been several moments in this entire show where it's been called out that Sabine feels like she has no family left. Yeah. And Ezra is the only family. So I do think there's a sense of frustration there. I I agree. Well, frustration at the situation that she can't get him. Yeah. Because obviously it's not like that was the first thing that she said to Ezra when she saw him. That's not how she feels. But I do think that that's something under the surface. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because humans are complicated and have many emotions. You can understand why and feel gratitude towards the fact that Ezra trusted Sabine with that secret Mm -hmm. and that choice that Ezra was making to save everyone at the end of Rebels. Sabine was the only person that knew, right? In that moment, it was, I was reminded over perhaps those feelings that Sabine might have towards Ezra. Yeah. No, I I, I agree. I agree. I loved the little town that they lived in. I loved how their huts were kind of modeled after their shells. The music is super cute and happy. I can't wait until it gets released. Kevin Kiner's score continues to be top tier. Episodes one through four, parts one through four are up on Spotify now, actually. So that's been great. And I'm very excited to have, I'm very excited to have this episode in particular because the other ones, they can, they can run quite intense. And when I'm just typing an email, I don't know if I need that intensity all the time, but I'm very excited to have this parts music up on Spotify because it does have that very fairy tale lilting happy and the 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 way the score swells when Sabine sees Ezra it's so good it's perfect it's so good Ezra looks so good he sounds just like uh, it's this is perfect casting Mm -hmm. the beard I mean yes the outfit yes I mean everything about this entire reunion is so good and I was I was sobbing I was crying I knew I could count on you <laughs> oh my god every time I hear it I'm like wow <laughs> we've arrived when, when Ezra was like it did work right and I was like oh my god he's been thinking right. for so long whether or not his plan worked well, but honestly Sabine has so much to freaking tell us I know, oh I know and I you know when he's like you were writing the howler and and how did how did you even get here and Sabine says let's not talk about that not right now in this moment here I sent you this in a snapchat I think I rewatched this moment Charlotte like 10 times <laughs> this moment are you shipping by the way I are don't you know I don't know <laughs> complicated emotions feeling feeling some sort of way about it um but when when Ezra's like how did you get here you you know he says I have so many questions and Sabine says let's not talk about that not right now and Ezra goes Sabine and she goes hey and he goes hmm and it's this like he kind of tilts his head and he's like a little jokey like what like me I, I don't know it felt the little tilt of his head it was so on point for Ezra and I was so obsessed with it. I think that Eamon has done su- – like, he's done his homework. Everyone on this show has. And I keep saying that everyone's portrayal is my favorite portrayal of their animated counterpart. <laughs> but, man, I love him. <laughs> <laughs> I think Ezra fan for life. I really am. Suddenly, <laughs> like, 2023 has been the year of Ezra for me. <laughs> in a really big way. <laughs> I just love his character and even looks incredible. And 
yeah, I just, I loved the way and their slow hug too, where they like slowly walked towards each other with their arms outstretched. And then they did the, the, is this the tightest hug we've ever had in Star Wars? I think it might be. (laughs) It's pretty tight. It's pretty tight. tight. (laughs) (laughs) I honestly don't know if I'm a shipper. Um, I was in Rebels for a little bit. I think the thing with Sabine and Ezra is that I'm truly content to see it go either way. Like with Ray and Kylo, that was, I am that was not the case. Right? Like, mm-hmm. That needed to go away from me <laughs> to be a little bit satisfied. But with totally. Ezra and Sabine, I, I would totally love a scenario where they came together romantically. I can easily see that storyline playing out. Um, and I, I feel, I can feel it too. Like I could very, I, <laughs> I can feel the tension. Feel <laughs> but to, to have Sabine and Ezra also means to say goodbye to Sabine and Shin. And mm. I can feel it mm-hmm. there too. <laughs> I, know. I know. That's the other bad thing about my speculation about Shin, both of ours, of Shin staying on Peridia is that then there's definitely no Shin and Sabine. Well, I just, I, shipping or not, Sabine and Shin have had several moments Mm -hmm. starting with that first fight in episode one or two in episode one. Um, It will end in another face off in which they, I don't know, work together or something. It just, it's just the way it's going to be. I I agree. So it's when they're, they're linked. Those two characters are foils of each other. Yeah. I think it would be great to see Shin make a, a choice like in tandem with Sabine. Um, yeah. by the end. And I think you're right. There definitely will be another face-off between all of them, um, specifically between Shin and Sabine. I think we've got to have some kind of follow-up to Shin's You Have No Power. That was such a killer line from her. And I do wonder, I'm still like, is this where Sabine's going to use the force? I still don't know how I feel I about still, it. I think that's part of the reason why I was like really surprised that this finding Ezra was so jovial. Mm-hmm. Because I really speculated that Sabine using the Force was going to be somehow because of Ezra. Yeah. But now they could use it in Force together in tandem, perhaps. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, I definitely thought that – because here's the other thing we didn't mention is, right, that uh, Sabine's whole journey with – I think they're – the subtitle said that the turtle people were speaking Noti and O-T-I, but they also said that the other people, like the other raiders were also speaking Noti. So I think Noti is just the language of the planet mm-hmm. and these are the turtle mm-hmm. Noti people. I don't know. But that whole scene when they found the first turtle Noti, it's very reminiscent of Leia meeting Wicket in Return of the Jedi yeah. and being taken back, right? And again, this makes sense for seeing this type of story beat play out in another galaxy. And I kind of I love that but another piece I thought would be similar um, in that vein is like when Leia calls out to Luke or hears Luke at the end of Empire Strikes Back even though she has no concept that she has force abilities within her and so I kind of thought that maybe Sabine would call out to Ezra through the force and that would kind of be her first inkling of really using the force also when she's there with all the turtles she talks about rocks and I'm like oh this it's not about lifting rocks and this is what she's going to be able to do so I I just there are so many moments that they've thrown into this show of is it here if we hear the force theme a little bit almost 
said that I thought that the first time she used it would actually be more of an emotional use of the force in calling out to Ezra, but we didn't get that either. So I think that our focus was on Sabine and Ezra when probably our focus should be on the core of the show, which is Sabine and Ahsoka and how Mm -hmm. now that they're separated, how will they come back together and whether or not that will be the moment. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Anyway, I cannot wait for Ezra to see his lightsaber again, to see Sabine use it, if Sabine will give it back. I I bet she'll try to, and Ezra will be like, I think it's yours now. Um, Totally. Which I can't wait for that too. And man, oh man, I just, I'm very nervous too, like you, about all of this. But they can't give us Ezra like this and then take him away again. I don't think they'll take take him away. Okay. But I do think that our heroes will be in peril and maybe there'll be a cliffhanger at the end of this series. I'm going to go back to my really happy ending on the ghost. That's... Okay, so another reason why I think that we're not going to have a super happy ending (laughs) is because we had a super happy ending with Mandalorian season three. Like that was really happy. We have more than one happy ending. (laughs) Because this is Star Wars and Star Wars is tragedy. (laughs) And this is Dave Filoni. And Dave Filoni, who also famously said people don't actually like when their favorite characters die. I'm I'm not saying death. Okay. I'm not saying death. I'm saying cliffhanger. Okay. Okay. And I think that since Dave is doing a whole movie, he is going to want to save some of those stakes for the movie. But I don't know. I don't know, man. I think there can be. I think there'll be different. I think there'll be different stakes when it comes to the film. So I think they can put like a little bow, a little pink happy bow on Mm -hmm. Ahsoka, even while leaving some threads out there to be dealt with, namely Thrawn and the Dathomir sisters, mothers. We need a season two of this series. So... I need, I need a season two. Yeah. I'm, I, you know, if, if I get them all on the ghost at the end, <laughs> I'll be, I don't, I'll be content with that. You can save your money, Lucasfilm, and put it towards <laughs> the movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One thing we haven't talked enough about, I know I hear us, I feel us reaching the end are things that we just don't really cover that much on the show, which is Thrawn, military, all that stuff. <laughs> what was your reaction to seeing Thrawn again? Did you like this intro? What do you think of Captain Enoch and this insane design? What do you think of the Kintsugi helmets? Like, I want to know all your thoughts. I There aren't that many, I'm going to be honest. Um, okay. That's fine. <laughs> That's okay. But I just feel like we didn't cover, so we need to, we need to cover. That's true. I think that, I, I don't know. I feel like Thrawn has honestly has kind of worked the least for me when it comes to the full body paint of him being blue. But having Lars Mikkelsen do it, incredible. I also like everyone mm-hmm. comments on the contacts throughout uh, this show for all of our characters. They really don't bother me. Thrawn's definitely, I wouldn't mean it bothered me. They just are very red. <laughs> and so I red. guess that's but, like, kind you of can't the really point. get a. You can't get around that. They could have though. made it more of like a muted red, honestly. True. His, yeah, his his body paints slash contacts have worked the least for me out of all of our Rebels people. But, I, and again, Lars Mikkelsen doing the voice is just like being the actor and he did the voice in Rebels. His voice is so perfect for the role that to have that back here in the show is great. Um, and we're really lucky on that front, I think. I think his, his re- the starship coming over and landing, I was like, Thrawn would. You know he's got a shuttle on there. He can take a little shuttle down. And he chose to 
to make the entrance here <laughs> with the starship. Um, it's very dramatic, very Thrawn. So I thought it was a good entrance. It's kind of what I expected from him. Um, and I think Enoch is cool. Uh, the gold, the Kintsugi, the, the ribbon, it kind of looks like ribbon around all of these warriors is very cool. It is ribbon. It's like that Japanese, it's the Japanese red string of fate of it all yeah yeah i think it's interesting to have them on the warriors though mm -hmm. um that's an interesting that's, choice um that's why i'm like oh my god are they zombies they could because be. they're like tied together because otherwise they'll fall apart exactly yeah so i thought it, i thought it was a cool entrance um the music was great with him as always and yeah i can't wait to see what what he does next Totally agree. Yeah, I think Thrawn really worked for me. I really liked the tattered, like if you go, mm -hmm. if you zoom in close to his wardrobe, the uniform is tattered. I think that's a good detail. I like the weirdness of the troopers. I think that that's perfect. Enoch, I don't really know what to think about this guy. Um, putting absolutely zero stock into this character, if I'm being honest. But as the, soon as it was confirmed that he wasn't Ezra, I was like, okay, that's a cool look. Um, yeah. Well, is it a cool look or is it just weird? Because I, I think it's a cool look, I guess, on like on a good day and then on a bad day. I'm like, this is kind of weird. But at the same time, maybe we needed a refresh of what we know so well as the Stormtrooper helmet. Yeah, no, I think it was fitting to have something completely different here um, yeah. in Peridia. And, you know, to your point about the tattered uniform, Thrawn kind of hints at the... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The strain on their resources when Morgan, when he's talking about the squadrons going after Balin and Shin and then Ezra and Sabine and Morgan is like, we should send out more than two squadrons. And he's like, uh, no, two is enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's funny. Another thing to note that we didn't is that Sabine and Thrawn have actually never met face to face until this episode. Which I think is fascinating given the fact that in Rebels, Thrawn's offices are adorned with Sabine's artwork. Mm -hmm. And he is very focused on understanding the Rebels through art. And Sabine is often, when talking about art, which happens a lot in Rebels, she is the link there to discuss it. But she had never discussed it with him, only a couple of other people even of Imperial reign. I, if I can think about like the long game that Dave Filoni is playing, it's curious that this is the first time that they meet. And I loved the Thrawn being like, that's a familiar name because it's like, yes. But at the same time, like they don't really have the history of Sabine's like combat, I guess that Thrawn does with Ezra has, or even with Hera. Right. Um, so I think this is quite interesting and I can't wait to see what other conversations that they might have. I was like thrilled with that mm -hmm. whole interaction. I was too. And it made me think about how much I'm very excited for the possibility of Thrawn and Hera to have a conversation because yes. they have some very interesting interactions in Rebels. Exactly. So, exactly. Very intrigued there. Also thinking about Sabine's art, right? And the fact that Ezra has carved these rebel symbols. Yes. Yes. In, Thank you for bringing this into up. Into all of the, for all of the Noti. Like if this is something 
very similar to how Thrawn would come across Sabine's graffiti. And if you have, if you're not familiar with Rebels, Sabine designed this firebird for Phoenix Squadron that eventually morphs into the Rebel symbol. It's kind of the first draft of what becomes the Rebel symbol. So Sabine's artwork is actually very important <laughs> to the Rebellion. It's so important. It's on our logo. Exactly. That's that's <laughs> Sabine's graffiti is what's Starboard, on our yeah. logo, on the Skytalkers logo. Um, and so if if Sabine would always graffiti mark places where they had a victory, and this is something that Thrawn keeps coming across and he keeps taking this artwork, studying Sabine's art style, now even on this planet, he has probably come across her art again in Ezra replicating it. Um, and maybe he's done it in other places or maybe it's just through these like tokens that necklaces that he's carved for the Noti or something like that, I think is kind of a, a fun touch that he's still haunted <laughs> by this artwork and this symbol. Well, I loved that the symbology is still uniting people in the same way that it was in Rebels, mm -hmm. the way that it did throughout the war and how Sabine, I mean, how crazy must it have been for Sabine to get to this barren wasteland yeah. of a new planet in a new galaxy and to see her art. And it wasn't, it wasn't the re rebel symbol that she had on her shoulder, right? It was her firebird symbol that she saw. Well, because Ezra, it really wouldn't, reminded Ezra me. wouldn't have seen the rebel symbol. That's wild. That's wild. Yeah. Wow. I, wow, 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 wow. That's wild. Um, the fact that that unites them, I think, is sort of Sabine's whole um, – she talks a lot about it in Rebels, about how important art is for her and of like an emotional tether. And I think it reminded me a lot of how in The Last Jedi, with the ring that Rose has and she gives to the the kids at the end of the movie that unites the galaxy, like it, it inspires hope. And that symbol is – is hope. And I really liked that that was basically her number one clue to find Ezra was her own artwork. It's great. great. In another galaxy. It's great. That already has inspired for years so many people to the cause. It's great. It's great. It's great. I love it so These much. These two episodes were so good. <laughs> and such a good time. Really loved it. <laughs> I can't wait for next week, but it, for now I get to bask in these two episodes the glow of happiness <laughs> the glow thank you dave like oh my god <laughs> what awaits us i don't know i'm gonna hold on to my ghost um speculation though because that's gonna keep me yeah you should just keep me going build in that up in times. your head <laughs> yeah <laughs> hold on to it like a light uh, <laughs> manifest it <laughs> all right well is there anything else we've missed that we need to talk about today with these two episodes? No, I think we're good. It's been two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited once again for all of you to listen to this whenever it is able to come out and see potentially what speculation we were right and wrong about um, at the time and any new thoughts you might have on these episodes now that some time has passed since they first aired. We would love to hear them. So please let us know. You can find us on Twitter, slash x uh sky talkers pod or our personal handles mine is at caitlin plusher and charlotte's is at clarity we also have our instagram tiktok threads facebook and email all good places to find us and if you have a couple seconds and would like to leave us a review on apple podcasts or spotify or take a screenshot of you listening in real time and share it to your social media site of choice and tag us we would love to reshare it as well 
works kind of like word of mouth in the podcasting space that you're in listening and enjoying the show. And if you're interested in other ways to support us, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our different reward tiers there. I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Becky, Carol, David, Charlotte, Tim, Paul, Saber Bouquet, Patty, Stephanie, Rachel, Nina, Adam, Allison, Megan, Miss Art, Kara, Alexa, Molly, Tim, Imbecilius, Anna, Bibi, Nate, and Madison. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Thank you.